0: Gory days are here to stay. The 80s horror show. Take a stroll down every sleigh
1: It's time to start the show. The gory days. 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 On the afternoon of August 16th, 1973, five young people in a Volkswagen van ran out of gas on a farm road in South Texas. Four of them were never seen again. The next morning, the one survivor, Sally Hardesty Enright, was picked up on a roadside blood-caked and screaming murder. Sally said she had broken out of a window in hell. The girl babbled a mad tale. A cannibal family in an isolated farmhouse, chainsawed fingers and bones. Her brother, her friends hacked up for barbecue, chairs made of human skeletons. Then she sank into Catatonia. Texas lawmen mounted a month-long manhunt but could not locate the macabre farmhouse. They could find no killers and no victims, no facts, no crime. Officially on the records, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre never happened but during the last 13 years, over and over again, reports of bizarre grisly chainsaw murders have persisted all across the state of Texas. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre has not stopped. It haunts Texas. It seems to have no end. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember some of our favorite movies, horror movies from the early from the 1980s and early 1990s. God, so close. One of these days I'm going to get it. Maybe episode 5, maybe episode 10 if we make it that far. God, I really hope so. Anyway, my name, Kyle Leone, like always, sitting here in this tin can of a recording studio in Los Angeles, California. Whew. I got to make sure I take bigger breaths before I start this thing. (laughs) Tin Can, Los Angeles, California, recording studio. You know the blurb. Um, Man, what a week it's been. I don't know why I say that. Um, Some movies came out, some things happened. Uh, It was uh, an interesting week, but um, all the more interesting because of my guest today, uh, a fantastic person has come into my life by some random happenstance, Um, met him at a wedding shower for a friend of a friend. I'm part of the groom's uh, side, he's part of the bride's side, and we just came together in one of those uh, crazy ways that you meet people out there in the world. He is a uh, writer a producer, a former film executive, and a consultant. Please welcome Brandon Payne. Welcome
0: to the Gory Days. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. How are you doing? I'm well. Uh, I I like that uh, the opening read there you had for the the title credits there. Oh, yeah. Do you Um, recognize it? I do. Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of one of the coolest things about 80s and 90s horror movies is I don't know how much I'm older than you guys, but... uh, you know, it's a very pre internet thing you could do in horror movies to give that kind of feeling that maybe this thing really did happen. You know, even like uh, looking at uh, Blair Witch Project, you know, it was kind of the last time you could do that where half the audience thought it was real. And they, they were even as cornball as a movie as this can be. You can't do that anymore. They always talk about the lack of the cell phones and stuff and how that's troubling to horror movies because it's so easy to get out of danger. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of missed, too, that, that feeling of going to, to drive-in or something like that and and having some suspicion in the back of your mind that it could be real.
1: Suspicion, the movie wants to incept into you that it is real, right, that right. this did happen, and more importantly, it's happening right now, and it could be happening in this very theater. Right, like, that kind right. of thing. They totally did that. I
0: think they even cut a scene uh, from the movie where the... Uh, the oh the Sawyer family goes it, to a movie theater. Goes to a movie theater mm-hmm. and kills a bunch of people to get uh, meat for their chili.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. No. On the IMDb, they describe that as a like gory fest. Just that amazing scene of Tom Savini, I believe, was the makeup artist going nuts, and them unfortunately having to cut all of it. But that's an interesting point, because um, I don't know how ma- I don't know if there were any uh, theater crimes or theater shootings and things as then. Certainly not as many as when I say theater shootings now. What comes up in people's minds? But uh, that's interesting that they had the wherewithal to cut it even back in '86.
0: Yeah, and I, I will say just a little comics. I know we're gonna make fun of a lot of things in this movie. But uh, uh, Tom Savini is the man. Uh, he did a lot of good work in a lot of things, and good to keep in mind that he didn't have computers to help him out and he had to figure out a lot of things on his own and he's still doing good work today so a shout out to him
1: it's really exciting something i've learned since i've started this podcast that a lot of the people who made these movies are still working today are still the giants that they were absolutely or have grown into the giants that they wanted to be because who's to say that tom savini this is what his big dream was was to make a movie theater scene for texas chainsaw masker part two
0: Right. I mean, I haven't looked at his IMDb, but he's had his hands in everything from lots of great filmmakers.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess we should introduce you a little bit. I'm Kyle Leone. I'm here every week recording my episodes of the podcast. But who are you, Brandon Payne?
0: We mentioned you're a writer. We mentioned you're a producer, a former film exec. Those are just words. Right, right. So, yeah, so I uh, truncated background. I uh, went to film school here in Los Angeles at uh, USC. Uh, studied critical studies, focused uh, a little bit on per- specifically horror, sci-fi, and fantasy um, from the perspective, frankly, that science fiction and fantasy are actually offshoots of horror. And I could go into that for a long time, but the <laughs> truncated thing uh, would be that uh, I think really good horror has to transform you into a place that you had as a child in which you could be irrationally afraid of things so uh, I could talk about that for a long time but I'll get a little past that sure so after that um, I ended up working for actually the first horror movie I ever worked on was a remake of a movie no one's probably seen called 2001 Maniacs and they probably didn't see the remake either um but it was very cool because I uh, did get to work with both freddy uh <laughs> krueger and jason on that movie uh, robert england and uh, kane hodder wow so that was pretty cool they're both very funny very cool guys that's uh, good to know yeah went on to work at a sony based company called phoenix pictures in development which uh writing's my background uh, as far as horror films go there, it was more on the high-end stuff. Got to work on things like Black Swan, Zodiac, those kind of horror-thriller hybrid, I guess. Yeah, the ones that bridge the gap. And, uh, and then eventually I became director of acquisitions called, uh, for a company called Shoreline Entertainment. And I uh, went around finding many, many, many independent films to sell to TV stations and networks and theaters and... Distributors and everything all around the world, and many of them were uh, horror and genre films because genre films and horror films from the independent world are some of the cheaper movies to produce, often don't need movie stars, and therefore can be made a little, or get made a little easier. And then, you know, many of the big independent hits uh, of all time, whether it's Saw or Halloween or... Um, it's pretty bad that I only can think of two off the top of my head but uh, a Paranormal Activity you know a lot of the biggest hits have always come from the independent world because you can make them for cheap money and and, uh, have a visceral impact on the audience
1: it sounds like you found your passion it sounds like you love what you do
0: Yeah, I like it. I do mean, you? I, I, I okay. do. I mean, I, I work on... Because uh, your tone
1: of voice makes I'm, it sound like... I mean, I get it. It's your job. It's a career. It's hard to enjoy. But do you?
0: It is, yeah. No, I mean, it's hard work trying to uh, to structure stories. I am completely a structuralist um, when it comes to, to preparing stories. Um, and it, it, do you mean it, when you approach projects that, or yeah, the way that you
1: appreciate movies or both? Both. Both.
0: Yeah. Actually, normally... Um, I didn't do it this time, but normally when I watch movies, I actually start a stopwatch... Um, and whenever a major plot point hits, I tend to look at the clock to see where it is in relation to where I would expect that beat to go or uh, where I'd want it' to like go.
1: act wise or specifically like uh, time wise twenty two minutes in this thing shouldn 't happen, but it did
0: uh both i mean now now time wise in almost any most feature films, your first act break is going to be that twenty five to thirty minute mark there 's movies like Patriot games or something that you, that you have to set up just huge global intrigue and that might last 45 pages but i wouldn't recommend doing that um you you know but uh yeah so usually you know sometimes it's just going to check the clock at what i think is the midpoint to see where they're at in the movie and to see if they were in the right spot timing wise if they were off that kind of thing if they knew what they were supposed to do with that plot point um yeah, that kind of stuff. Well, Brandon, it's great yeah. to have you here. You have a vocabulary that's
1: much more technical with movies than uh, I'm used to or uh, have even enjoyed in the past, but I do appreciate it, and I want to know, how did you fall into this? Uh, Is this well, what you always wanted to
0: do? Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I uh, originally went to school uh, to do creative writing. Ah. Um, soon thereafter, I, I, I do like to read, and I love to read. I read every day, but I soon thereafter... Learned that I I liked movies and television more than I do like to read. And I I still love to write. And uh, started taking film classes at USC. Had to reapply to get into film school. I was lucky enough to get into film school. And, yeah, I mean, it's a weird business to work in. And uh, half the time you're trying to break back into it. But, uh, yeah, I like movies. I love telling stories above anything else. I don't know what the future going to hold in terms of storytelling if movies as we know it are changing they certainly seem to be with what netflix and Hulu's doing and vr and and whatever else but uh i think from my perspective i'm in the storytelling business what are you That's reading right wrong. now what am i reading right now well i just actually read a book which is completely relevant to this called um I think the she, listeners will determine that. <laughs> yeah, what was the the name of this book? It was um Born to Run. It's actually about a a uh, fiction? No, a nonfiction book about a uh this lost tribe called the I'm sure I'm botching the pronunciation and, and I'm gonna look big at it or something. But the I believe the Tamaha uh, Tamahamara tribe in Mexico, which has been living uh secluded from humanity for a very long time and they um really they've secluded themselves since columbus showed up out wow. of fear of outsiders um that seems difficult it is especially they're in one of the most dangerous places in the world uh, um in terms of uh drug trafficking um and but they stay hidden um kind of from the world and the thing about them is they're pretty much the greatest distance runners in the world um and but they have no interest in in documenting that exactly because <laughs> they don't they're fare the world, but uh, these guys can run outrun pretty much most olympians it, it's it was an interesting book pretty irrelevant, like I said though That's I did fine. just uh, previously I reread the uh, the writer's journal, which uh, anyone that wants to write movies or really any type of writing should pro oh, I'm sorry, the writer's journey. Ah. um which is uh is a basically a breakdown of the hero's journey from a writer's standpoint and there's a, a to make an awkward transition there is a big time hero's journey in this story yeah um yeah. oddly structured certainly in in a, in a lot of ways in that our protagonist is, is 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 Dennis Hopper, who is uh, very old and still is, and apparently has been old his entire life. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was born old, one yeah, of those actors. Yeah, was definitely one of those guys. Um, but before we get into the movie, I just right, want to ask let's, you let's a couple back. more questions. Sure, I want to get a sure. nice
1: round uh, picture of you. Yeah. What makes a horror movie good or scary to you? Okay. Or is that two different qualifiers? That's definitely
0: two different qualifiers. Yeah. Um, so far as uh, as what makes something scary, personally, I mean, there's yeah for personally. So I, I'd say a little bit touching on what I mentioned before about being able to bring you into a childhood state to a certain degree. To me, the the greatest movie of all time and the greatest horror film of all time is The Shining. And You look at what he did in that. That's why we're never going to touch that one. Yes, that's a good one <laughs> not to touch. But you know, there, there's no the it's very calculated those parents are named jack and jill it's very calculated that he's that he's watching um tom and jerry on the television it's very calculated all these things to remind you of childhood to bring you back to the state where the world is scary and confusing and your brain as a child is really quite cl- clever it's, it's building its own metaphors and allegories with story you know as a child you're dealing with these concepts concepts of you know burdening sexuality you uh, the separation from the parents the going off into the unknown and so if you're able to really really affect someone psychologically and get them confused in the, their subconscious and then play with their most primal needs like whether that's a mother's love or romantic love or the fear that no one will ever love them or the fear that they're going to be alone or whatever uh, I think that'll really get you and one last term I like to use is, is uh, to wait, I think really get the most people including myself would be this term I like to use called cosmic indifference hmm. that uh, Hitchcock really focused on um, the best example I could think of is uh is psycho it's it's when the heroine janet Lane, makes the decision to give the stolen money back that's when she's killed hmm. so in that world the universe god whatever you want to call it did not care that she made the right decision and i think that's something that can really be get in the back of almost any person's mind and really be ter- uh Not terrific, but uh, terrifying is this... Is that where we get the word? Yeah, (laughs) that, that, you know, that the universe isn't looking out for Mm -hmm. you. Because most films, the universe
1: puts everything
0: into the place and and, and organizes it. And horror is the one genre where you can uh, take it out of that. And the universe doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah. So... You mentioned that um, a horror movie, if its ability to make its audience remember what it was like to be afraid as a child, makes it scary... Um, That isn't necessarily to say that horror movies are aiming at people who haven't gone to a therapist to talk about some of their deep-lying childhood traumas or issues and things, but those people may react more to some of the uh, efforts that filmmakers make to put you back into where you were when you were a confused child surrounded by things that maybe you should have been afraid of but weren't.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's particularly attacking any... uh any specific social norm I think these are the, the best horror movies are really playing I think off of fears that we all have mm-hmm. and, and, universal and fears universal yeah. fears not you know,
1: spiders not snakes yeah, loss
0: exactly and like you know when you were scared of the darkness mm-hmm. because it was unknown. unknown the unknown is the other the exactly right. Yeah. right the other
1: and this movie kind of plays on that too, about the other and you know uh, backwoods podunk uh, rednecks being this mysterious, crazy right. element that you can't predict, and you got to watch out for the the crazies out there.
0: Right, right, yeah. Similar to Deliverance, just <laughs> played very differently. So um,
1: that's what makes a movie scare a horror movie scary. What makes a horror movie good to you?
0: So good to me, that's a, that's a lot of different potential Absolutely. qualifications, you know, because horror, I think, is a very base genre and this might be a little off topic but uh, you know one of the things they teach you in screenwriting which I think is something that shouldn't get focused too much is that you uh, shouldn't combine genres and you should know what genre you're doing what you're sticking to but I actually think of horror as something of a base genre you can do a horror comedy you can do a horror thriller you can do a lot of things because horror to me is more of a it's a psychological state that you want to use and and you can do that in a lot of ways. So I mean, The Evil Dead to me is a great movie. I'm not terrified at really at any point. Um just in the same way that The Exorcist that might be playing on my fears being raised Catholic might hit me, you know, as that's more to the childhood type stuff That definitely got my wild. dad for the same reasons. Right, right. And uh but yeah, like uh that's tough to tell because uh real horror especially not real horror because it's not like the one's fake because there's some that are, can be really intelligent or even social if you look at like what George Romero's movies are you know I, I I I mean he's probably good at terrifying you physically as well as as getting that social aspect or Get Out does that too um, you know in a modern way so like, there's a lot of ways to make a great horror movie uh, as far as just getting the fear. I don't know if you know that horror comes from the either a Latin word or a French word. I don't know. I don't have my thumb high finger on <laughs> to know, but uh it's that which makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I did That's not know that it comes
1: from. I'm going to act like I did for the future <laughs> of this podcast.
0: Um so yeah, so I think there's a there's uh there's a number of ways you can make a good horror film. Um from a sales perspective, if you're making a horror film and you're making an independent horror film and nothing, there isn't a horror set piece in the first 10 minutes, then the people you're going to send that movie to are going to turn it off. So I'd keep that in mind. That's actually really good to know. Make sure you establish a genre. Usually, uh, horror films, if you're familiar with like the save the cat method or anything as a screenwriter, that usually the opening image, um, is usually a horrific scene. Think, You know, Mike Myers, uh, the tracking shot at the beginning of Halloween. Michael Myers, of course, you mean. Right, right, (laughs) not not the Scottish comedian. Um, But uh, it's almost similar to a James Bond movie in that sense, where the opening image is usually him in an action set piece that really has relatively little to do with the plot. However, in a good horror movie, as with good streamplay structure, you're going to have a uh, an ending shot that's that's going to show the. The opposite of that opening shot in Halloween, that case would be you're at the same house that he was when he first became a murderer, and you know, Don Pleasance looks outside, and he's no longer there.
1: I mean movies used to do this maybe they still do it and it's just more subtle but like the Indiana Jones movies you think about how the opening scene is him finishing uh, adventure that we didn't get to enjoy the entirety of he's just doing the tail end of it and getting it away getting away and the movie is never going to go back and go well let's look at why he was there and things because we knew that this is just setting up our genre. He's an adventure hero. Let's right. see him do adventuring. Some of the superhero movies will still open with uh, whoever the superhero is, um, Captain America or Wonder Woman, saving some people in a unique situation that we don't have all the information to. They're there, and they have to do their job and save the day.
0: Yeah. I'm actually, I want to just go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark for a second, because there's actually another point he, he does right after that that I think is brilliant, and uh, which is this uh, this first scene, like you mentioned, is set up, and and we look at a, a traditional screenplay structure. This is the setup phase, right, where you want to get all the characters from the A story together, the, the B story being usually the love interest that comes at either the end of the first act or the beginning of the second act, And and but it's not always the love interest. It's really the character that teaches your protagonist the lesson that they're going to eventually learn um, to grow. Uh, but uh, getting back to uh, Indiana Jones when you you set up that setup at the beginning, you usually want to hit three things, which is work, um, play, and home. And Raiders of the Lost Ark does that really well because it establishes that scene you mentioned before with, you know, obviously running from the ball is his work, but the other half of his work is he's a college professor. And so we cut to him in college when he's finishing the lecture because we don't really care about archaeology. But we, you have a girl looking at him. She's obviously in love with them. She closes her eyes. She says, love you, written on the eye. Classic. And it, that, that scene probably plays for 30 seconds and establishes him as a character just so well. And the the dropping the apple on the table, not saying anything and leaving. I just love that scene, how it sets it up. Because it goes right into that call for action, the next scene, when they tell him about the the arc being lost. They yeah. I really love the setup to that movie.
1: Yeah, no, um, it's something that I do applaud um, older movies for, uh, I guess for all intents and purposes, being more ham-fisted with that intro. Right. And being just like, here's our hero, this is what he does, this is what he's all about, let's have fun.
0: Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Economy of dialogue and economy of writing is what I call it. Get in and out as fast as you can as long as you convey it correctly. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Well, that kind of tangentially moves us to the movie that we watched for this week's uh, podcast. Listeners, of course, know that this week we watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, also known as The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, as it was marketed uh, heavily at the time. This movie was released theatrically in the United States by Canon Films on Friday, August 22nd, 1986. It had a budget at the time of $4.7 million. Do you want to guess how much it
0: grossed? Let's see. I, I, I know. I'm gonna guess this made us money on the video market afterwards because I know it became a pretty good cult hit. But I, I don't think it probably grossed more than five to ten in the theaters.
1: Ooh, opening weekend it grossed two million eight hundred twenty-two thousand four hundred thirty-nine dollars and some change. It did not make its nut. At opening weekend, right? But you're absolutely right. Uh, the home video sales exploded as this cult movie, uh, as this movie got a cult following, and it made eight million seven hundred twenty-five thousand
0: and some change. And yeah, oh, that's that's one of the biggest problems that's facing the movie business is the lack of home video sales. It and doesn't that, exist anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't. That, that's a huge market that's gone. That's,
1: Yet they still sell them at like barn. Uh, uh, Best Buy and things. Oh. I still spend time walking up and down the aisles looking at the movies.
0: I still have a giant collection of DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. You still have VHSs? No. It... I do have yeah. some video yeah, totally. <laughs> They were bigger. The titles took up more space. That it was might, nice. There might be a Laserdisc or a Betamax even somewhere, you know. But, yeah, it's, it just feels like such a waste. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's something that, I mean, the posters are still lovingly designed and things, but there right. was a point in time where the posters were designed to kind of mislead. They would show you some one tiny element of the movie so that kids and teens and people walking through Blockbuster would see the ghoulie popping out of a toilet it and go well that's what this movie's all about. I should rent this they 'd go home and find out that it's about a teenager trying to summon demons the entire time right
0: right yeah you can't i, I think that it's a change in marketing is uh it seems like those type of stories where you that are non high concept horror films um, meaning you can't explain them in one or two sentences. that seems like Netflix and Hulu. The was, elevator pitch, it, exactly. You know, like something like Get Out, where it's black people made slaves again, or period. Yeah, or uh, Happy Death Day. It's Groundhog's Day as a horror movie. You know, things like that. You can hook an audience. You can get people to come in pretty effectively. You know, something like it probably wouldn't have been as easy to as sell if it, if it didn't have a pre-existing material. Exactly.
1: It, you know. It's almost about getting clickbaity headlines in people's right. minds more than what the movie might be about.
0: Right, right. Yeah. No, and it, that's it, always been. It is also is a, is a great example of that bringing you back to childhood to get fierce thing. The idea of a, a scary clown, that's why scary clowns work so well. You know, that's like putting those children in danger has always, to me, given me more of an impact. That's why the exorcist works for me. The omen from, like, the backwards sense, because he's the, the, the demon, you know, and children of the corn in that same regard. But putting children always it seems to get an effect on me, because it's always tough with the sexy, you know, great shape 25-year-old college football player running from the killer cuz he should have a fighting chance when it's a 5-year-old, it's a little a little different. Mm-hmm.
1: And plus yeah. there's the kind of unspoken rule that children are safe in movies, uh, in horror movies. Might. If a child shows up, he's probably going to be fine. That's what makes events like Alien uh the most the second most recent Alien, the one where he comes to Earth. Um I I think that's Alien versus Predator or 2. Um. anyway there's a scene in one the second most recent alien where the alien comes into a maternity ward and all of the nine months pregnant women in there can't move are screaming as an alien slowly approaches a pregnant woman and I'm thinking the whole time I'm like she's gonna be fine someone's gonna come in and save her he sticks his second mouth down her throat and impregnates her baby in there and so there's a scene when the heroes come upon the maternity ward and find these women all of their chests burst because their babies have been turned uh, into aliens. This was
0: Alien versus Predator 2. I'm pretty or?
1: sure that's what it's called, and it managed to wow. actually break the rule so far that not only are babies not safe, not only are infants not safe, st- fetuses aren't safe.
0: That was, I mean, that was already the problem they had with Alien 3, that kind of tanked the franchise, was killing Newt between. Uh between Aliens and Alien
1: 3. Chucky, the newest uh, cult of Chucky on Netflix, he stabs a pregnant woman and makes her uh, paraplegic. Actually, that was the 2014 curse of Chucky, but the sequel still reacts to Uh, it.
0: Well, actually... uh, Kids aren't safe. Kids aren't safe, but also I was just thinking with Alien as well. uh, You're mentioning the Alien going to the maternity ward because the actual, the screenwriter, the original Alien... I... I'm paraphrasing it, but he made a quote to the effect of, "I wanted to rape the audience in every way I could because he was in a very dark place in his life." And Jesus. So, well, so if you look at you know the H.R. Geiger, who's the, the famous artist that did all the designs, um, they're beautiful. There's there is a, a lot of those vaginal and phallic imagery all through those movies. Obviously, the Face Hucker, and and uh, I'm not going to get too graphic with all that stuff, but you know, like. The face hugger is raping him in the mouth, mm-hmm. and 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 there's the reverse rape when it pops out, mm-hmm. and all of a because he was just basically riding angry, as I understood.
1: No, Alien is a psychosexual adventure. Yeah. that's that's uh, yeah, it makes you sick in a way that you don't understand why when you first see it for the first time. Like, yeah, yeah the chest is gross, but what you're talking about the reverse rape of it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was, that was actually the first movie I ever had a nightmare of. Oh, uh-huh. I, I wasn't that scared of it actually. Mine was watching Chucky. It. That's interesting. That <laughs> yeah. would get me. I was afraid of dolls uh, for years. Yeah, when I was really little, the, <laughs> what really scared me was that is The Headless Horseman. That that would did that. I had to run the like one of the TV thrown out of the house. Chernabog with, uh, from
1: Fantasia. Disney knew how to scare kids they back really then.
0: Did, they're they're good storytellers. Absolutely. in general, but. Yeah, that and then I, I remember walking downstairs to get a glass of water and my parents were watching The Shining. I think I saw five seconds of Jack Nicholson's eyebrows while I was walking down the hallway <laughs> carrying a mask. I mean, carrying an axe, and that, that 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 got me. That was pretty scary. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch it for until I grew up
1: so the texas chainsaw massacre 2 we watched it today um i just like to talk about a little bit of what was going on in the world when the movie came out the year was 1986 designated as the international year of peace under the united nations manhunter directed by michael mann was one of the most watched movies in 1986 Mm -hmm. while red storm rising by tom clancy was one of the best-selling books following a number of trouble-free years in space exploration The Space Shuttle Challenger explodes shortly after takeoff, watched by people live on TV around the world. The worst ever nuclear disaster occurs as the Chernobyl nuclear power station explodes causing the release of radioactive material across Europe in the UK. Commonly known as cow disease is identified which causes many deaths over the next few years and a major reform in farming practices. Gas a gallon of gas was 89 cents. The Nintendo Entertainment System had come out just a scant three months earlier, just as My Buddy's Dolls uh, debuted, which of course later inspired Chucky in the 1988 Child's Play movie and series. Some of the movies, if you were a kid at the time you might have been seeing, would be Stand By Me, the Transformers movie, Howard the Duck, Top Gun, Platoon, The Karate Kid 2, Star Trek 4, and maybe Aliens, the second one, 1986, Aliens. Um, The other movies that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 had to compete with on the day it released Night of the Creeps and Extremities. So it was actually up against other horror movies, other B-movies at least.
0: And this, of course, was the aliens of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. So... The opening blurb that I read uh, in the beginning when we started is uh, what starts off all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies because, right. like we explained, it incites this idea that not only did this happen, it's happening now, and it could be happening in your very town, or at least in Texas towns.
0: Um, and so, like the brilliant last shot of Halloween, where it just shows a whole bunch of houses, it could be yours. Mm-hmm. He could be in your house. Yeah, you know that that was just a bunch of uh, cutting room footage they had of, of different houses in the community and that was I as i understand the editor's idea i don't want to say whose it was but that wasn't in the script and they decided to put that in there but the I, I think was a
1: perfect ending i see the strings here yeah. yeah um so all lies none of this happened the texas chainsaw right. massacre is not real none of the people explained in it exist or are real what is real is ed game right and so what this movie and a lot of other movies did was sensate, was take the sensationalized story of Ed Gein, specifically the fact that he mutilated his victims into furniture, uh, and just ran with it for years. You mentioned Psycho earlier. Oh, Psycho, yeah, inspired Ed by Ed Gain, uh, they to nod s-
0: to that here with uh, with their their dead mother with a chainsaw her on. Yeah,
1: arms. yeah, great grandma up yeah. in the clock or tower or yeah, whatever yeah, that place yeah. is. It's like an amusement park. Uh,
0: where yeah, I, at. I, it was. It seemed like it was like a condemned carnival.
1: It's like a roadside attraction right. kind of thing. Yeah, like come see the world's largest ball of yarn. Um, anyway, yeah, Ed Gain was a real person uh, in history. He was a serial killer who. Let's Let's see. I have a little blurb uh, on here. Edward Thomas Gain, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, was an American murderer and body snatcher. His crimes committed around the hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, gathered widespread notoriety after authorities discovered that Gain had exhumed corpses from local graveyards and fashioned trophies and keepsakes from their bones and skin. This story has obviously had a lasting effect on American pop culture. The tale first came to widespread public attention in the fictionalized version presented by Robert Block in the 1959 suspense novel Psycho. Gain has obviously uh, influenced a lot of characters like Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface from this movie, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. The list honestly continues to this day. Um, The idea of a serial killer who not only eats their people, because that's scary enough, but uses their body, abuses their dead body for their weird things. For I feel like this clothing. It, for clothing, yeah. for lampshades, for chairs, for a chandelier, for decoration, the idea that even after the monster has killed you, it's not done with you and after you're it's like an uh an unholy yeah, a like point. Yeah. taking of like okay you got me now i'm dead is that isn't that enough no i have to flay you and use you as a chair for decades right. i want you to be a, a a fixture in my basement
0: the ultimate dehumanizing somebody yeah. quite yeah, literally yeah, turning them into an actual into object. a sofa yeah that's, yeah yeah so Again, not a nice man but he sure does make great for illusion and metaphor (laughs) so
1: what i was curious about is uh did um robert block buy the life rights to ed Gain to write this movie i imagine he was still alive at the time still in prison so in my research i learned that as long as someone is still alive there's a lot of legal hoops you have to go through to get um the rights to tell their life story but when they die you could essentially sit down and write a biography about george washington right. that paints him as a child molester and uh f- f- a person who eats fecal matter and the washington estate could do nothing right. to stop you
0: That's i found good. that horribly fascinating yeah i yeah. mean it's almost like uh citizen kane with william randolph hearst or um the the master uh, with philip seymour hoffman doing uh, the Elron hubbard kind of a role um yeah, that uh, I don't know if you have to buy the the life rights of and my assumption would be that if you're making it as different as what it was, and you're changing the names of the characters, that I can't be Im- imagine there'd be a legal battle over that. Because the one thing that you could point
1: at is, oh, there are shots of people as furniture. But that's not even really Leatherface's M.O. It's not clear if he's the one that's making that. They're just kind of there. I I don't
0: think he'd trademark the uh, skin furniture, so I don't know. No. uh, Yeah, I mean, and Psycho came out before. I don't know if they had to get the rights or whatnot. And and they don't use, none of them refer to the man as Ed Gain. uh, And Buffalo Bill certainly not, too. So my guess is that I I doubt there was too many legal. No,
1: because you can't put a legal patent on an act like right. running on r- running on a bunch of turtles is not a life story that i can't recreate if a criminal ran over a bunch of turtles and got put in prison for it. You could make that movie where someone runs over a bunch of cats, right. and that's not infringing on something. I don't know why I picked something so horrible as my example, but
0: oh, well, that's where my mind about, goes. I mean, well, we're talking about Ed Gain. He made like, exactly. a belt out of nipples. So I think mm-hmm. killing a couple cats isn't, isn't the worst possible thing. Yeah.
1: So what I wanted to talk about is, um, before we get into the recap really quick, uh, sure. is the idea that Leatherface is one of the more. Nuanced horror. So people think of the horror pantheon of the '80s, the big names: Freddy Krueger, Jason right. Voorhees, uh, Michael Myers. Leatherface is pretty firmly up there. Yeah. I would even argue Chucky the doll. And yeah. then there's some more from there that
0: yeah, uh, Candyman, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Who you could yeah. argue
1: for. Um, so Leatherface, though, of all of them, is arguably not incomprehensibly evil. Right, right. It seems like even Jason, even though it's like, oh, they killed me and I'm getting revenge, he's still just firmly, no matter what, he is evil. Leatherface on the other hand and the last thing I want to do is empathize with a serial killer but what I'm the point I'm trying to make is Leatherface is consistently portrayed as a person with severe mental problems right. with severe mental illness and his family who also suffer from severe mental illness take monstrous advantage of him right. and order right. him to do unspeakable things thus furthering his mental degradation and as somebody with diagnosed depression and anxiety, I do respond I to have characters.
0: Also, well, yeah, we're on the same page. Okay, though, yeah, sure.
1: I do respond to characters with mental struggles and things. Right. And it's unfortunate. I mean, it's an early movie, obviously, and I, the the thing that they're getting toward is the fear of the other and the crazies. Right. But what's being displayed here is a family with multiple personality disorder, maybe even schizophrenia, diagnosable diseases, treatable diseases. Um, what do you what do you think about that? What do you think about the Hollywood's portrayal of the crazies?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think well, let, talking about those big four, just really quickly, I'd say that Michael Myers and and uh, Jason Voorhees are are ultimates. They are you know the boogeyman, the the the, the oh I see, infernal yeah. uh, scary thing that lives under every child's bed, you know that 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 kind of thing. So I think that's that's really getting you when you're like getting you back to that childhood state where you're just literally afraid of the Boogeyman. I mean, And they call Michael Myers the Boogeyman several times and many
1: of the Hall But it's like so. a revenant, a thing that will not stop right. and will get you exactly. and you can't understand.
0: Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it definitely uh, you know, Wild Bill uh, and Norman uh, Buffalo Bill. Uh, sorry, Buffalo Bill. Uh, yeah, the stuntman wasn't that guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Norman Bates and all the characters based on it again, all have degrees of sympathy. I mean, Norman Bates is even the the hero of the sequels or or a hero of the sequels. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think, you know, with with that one, uh, the image that comes to mind is obviously the putting the face on her to hide her to like uh, quote unquote hide her but well i i there, that is the biggest what the fuck moment right is the dancing scene i guess between him and her that's
1: the biggest we'll get to it but yeah okay well maybe for me i, I <laughs> for you that, that was definitely
0: Sorry. what the fuck I, I, to me i think it was an homage to bride of frankenstein oh That was what I was taking it for.
1: Um, I thought it was some of Toby Hooper's patented black comedy he was so proud of. Yeah, oh, okay. And we'll get to that, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: we'll get to the black comedy. The black comedy.
1: Um, But uh, what were you saying about mental illness portrayals of these uh, villains that are ostensibly not magic? They're people.
0: Right, so I'd obviously say these aren't great portrayals of true mental illness Um, but um, yeah I mean uh, good villains don't consider themselves the villain so in in that degree I I think they had something going there Um, I don't know how uh, committed they were to clarifying each of their mental illnesses and that's probably what falls apart to a certain extent
1: because they had no intention to yeah. they they had no intention to sit down and have a Talking scene between his dad and uh, Leather or his right. I guess it's his older brother and Leatherface.
0: It's hard to tell the family relations. The, the I think that assumption is the cook is the dad. Yeah, yeah but yeah, um,
1: but uh, yeah. It's I feel like it reflects the me- uh, medical uh, practices at the time of the uh, 80s. The idea uh-huh. that mental illness is an annoyance more than an actual affliction. It's something that you take people and you bury them away in a place in an in an institution where they're being electro shocked and Dang. doesn't really matter they're the outcasts in the fringe of society they've been pushed away so to reflect uh the idea that medicine at the time didn't wasn't concerned with identifying mental illness the movie's capitalize on our lack of knowledge and fear the unknown
0: that's that's really interesting i, I didn't think about it that way but also historically at that time that's when the the Mental homes were being shut down during the Reagan era, is where a lot of our homeless came from and stuff like that. Mm. Um, One problem uh, leads to another. Yeah, so I I mean, uh, so yeah, so that's that's interesting. So there was a lot more mentally ill people on the streets coming out of that that time. Obviously most mentally ill people we I think we have to note are not psychopathic murderers. Oh, absolutely. No, <laughs> no,
1: they're they're us. They're yeah, people. Right. Um I think t- recent shows like Lady Dynamite on Netflix and things have done a fantastic job of shedding light on the realities of it. Even Transparent have really right. demonstrated what how the, how nuanced it is. How it's not Oh, that's an anxious person. Look right, at them. Right. I can tell because of all of the lightning bolts coming out of their head. Right, they're so right. anxious. No, that's a person. Right, right. And yeah, it, it's much grayer than that. It's 5000 shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> so the last thing I want to say is this movie's legacy. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an American horror franchise consisting of eight horror films, multiple comics, and a video game adaptation of the original 1974 film. But I want to talk about the chronology for these sequels. It's bananas. So the original comes out in Texas. Uh, it's called Texas chain space saw massacre 1974 right. then the second one comes out the one that we watched the texas chainsaw massacre 2 1986 followed by leatherface the texas colon the texas chainsaw massacre 3 in 1990 texas chainsaw massacre the next generation comes out in 1994 No, that's
0: the matthew mcconaughey renato yes one. yes i love that terrible movie
1: <laughs> so Ending there, these four movies make up the base chronology from the 1974 movie. Essentially, after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, TNG, The Next Generation, the story ends. Because in 2003, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out. A reboot. Right. Completely unrelated to any other story. This is the first time a story about The Texas Chainsaw Massacre has occurred. Three years later, in 2006, they make The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, a prequel to the 2003 remake. Then they decide, forget it. We're done with that reboot stuff. We're going to do... I don't know what else to call it. It's a pre-boot. They make a movie called The Texas Chainsaw... I'm sorry, it's, it's just called Texas Chainsaw 3D in 2013. Texas Chainsaw 3D is a direct sequel to the 1974 original and makes no reference to any of the past films. So it's unclear if this movie takes place between the 1974 and this 1986 one, or if it's replacing the 1986 one and erases all of those. But it gets worse from there, because in 2017, they make a movie called Leatherface that's about Leatherface as a little boy, and it's like Hannibal Rising. It's that story. It's... it's it's uh... Hollywood has gotten really interested in the bad guy's story. Let's hear Maleficent's perspective. Let's see what the good witch, or the Elphaba, the bad witch, what Mm -hmm. she was doing. Um, There's even like an Ursula book I've seen that's about, well, Ursula's side tells it different from The Little Mermaid. Or The Wicked. Yeah, yeah, Wicked, exactly. Right, so, right. officially, the chronology is a 2017 movie, then you go back to a 1974 movie, then you go to a 2013 movie, then you go to a 1986 movie, <laughs> Right, and it's just bananas.
0: Yeah, the, the only thing, you got to do one on uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. That's the only one oh, that's God. more of a mind. Uh, it really is. What, uh, I mean, that's, that's got to be a great lead-up to what Scream was, being ultra-meta. Scream, I think, yeah. condensed it a little more.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Controlled it a bit more. So, this was directed by Toby Hooper. It was. He was the, a pretty great filmmaker. The quote unquote director of Poltergeist.
1: He's done, yeah, he did Poltergeist. He did Invaders from Mars. He did Spontaneous Combustion, which I've actually heard a lot about on other podcasts. We'll probably do that at some point. Um, but, yeah, Toby Hooper, did you want to talk a little bit
0: about him? Sure. I mean, I think this movie is, along with most of the other movies you listed on the list, are pretty definitive proof proof that steven spielberg directed poltergeist (laughs) um i saw that on tv
1: the other day i saw the scene where the kids um braces attack him and the family still pretty
0: effective Uh, poltergeist is a great movie uh yeah uh, as i understand uh i don't remember what it was now but uh spielberg had directed a movie earlier that year and because of some sort of weird dga rules it would have considered it would counted as him directing two movies at once if he got the credit for Poltergeist, and so he had Toby Hooper directing. But as I understood, he was on set all day, pretty much in charge of everything.
1: That seems like a good situation
0: for Toby Hooper. Yeah, it makes it look like he <laughs> he makes made it look face like Poltergeist. Yeah, um, but yeah, and I, mean, he I don't. He gets credit. He's not a bad filmmaker. He certainly must have been on a lot of drugs for this film. It might make more sense to know that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2
1: was a three picture deal that it was one of those things where it's like it kind of doesn't matter if it's good or not because it's right. the middle of three that he had to make. He made uh part of Canon Films approached Hooper with a three picture deal to make Life Force 1985, Invaders from Mars 1986 and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 1987. So that was right. a little. It
0: was the third of three, but still. Hey, three picture studio deal. That's that's a good life. So just
1: like the original, this movie had a tumultuous relationship with the MPAA. When it mm-hmm. got released, it was given an X rating, which essentially is a death sentence for movies. So that's what led to the movie being released as an unrated picture.
0: But yeah, the technically, trailer- X is actually is unrated. Oh, uh, it, it, as a little little breakdown of, of, of oh, the please, MPAA. Yeah. Is, it's a little complicated how it works, and and frankly, it's not very fair. Uh, I don't know how much you know about it, so you can just stop me if I'm explaining too much. But the way the MPA, I don't know if it still works this way, but when it was incepted, uh, basically it's a, it's a group of parents, um, uh, couples of different races, um, that screen the film and if, uh, in order to determine what children should be able to see. Um, now, the, originally the ratings were G, P, G, um, and R. And, uh, and actually it was Spielberg that, that lobbied, I believe, because of Gremlins and Raiders of the Lost Ark that were coming out about the same time. Because he didn't want to get an R rating, which would be a PG-13. Now the way we come up with the idea of the X rating is if they did not approve the movie for release, they would simply drew an X over it. Okay. And so, XXX, which we call, I think, of porno, is, is that just a made up concept of if you did X over and over again? But unrated would it be an actual rating that the, the MPA would have given. Uh, they obviously added uh, NC17 um, at one point. However, there's a big backlash from. Uh, conservative groups and eventually getting mall theaters to pull anything with NC-17 yeah. uh, rating from the theaters that's and, what the death sentence was that's what it really was yeah Cause, uh, they were trying to make movies for a brief period of time that it, it actually came from Midnight Cowboy um, oh. which was a movie that was not given a rating and then it was uh, nominated for Best Picture and at that point the MPA got a little uh, embarrassed and they gave it a subsequent R rating um, so, and uh, that's when they they actually created NC-17 in order to, to be able to make more European movies. Um, this movie definitely would have been NC-17
1: if there had been one. The posters and uh, previews and things were adorned with this big, bold capital letter statement that says, no one under 17 right. will be admitted into
0: this picture. Right, right. So yeah, it's, Which makes it, you go, ooh, this it, is going to be good. Though I will point out that it, it is unfair with the MPA if you think about what I said of, of being these couples on uh, uh, different races. Essentially the I don't really have a problem when it comes to G, PG, PG-13 but when it comes to R I do have an issue with groups of people that are kind of similar being the only ones that decide what anyone can see. Because if you don't get an R rating, the movie essentially can't come out. And And if you're only interested in people that are married, have children, obviously are straight, and are of a certain age group, and them representing what I can see, that I don't have a big – I'm not a big fan of. Them determining what children can see, fine. That's pretty monopolistic. It's a little weird. Not a big fan of it. Because it's not a government agency. It's not the federal MPAA, right? No, it's not. It's it's the – it was a – I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure they made – a deal in order that they'd be policing themselves. Um, well, because
1: then like you get areas. to a point of the government interrupting art and people like that's that's kind of a problem. Right. But in America, where movies can incite riots and inspire. Crazies, And, right. I mean, I say crazies now, but you know what I'm trying to get at.
0: Yeah, like uh, Natural Born Killers and the the spree that came after that mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Though I, I don't think you can blame that stuff on the movie.
1: No, no. It's like blaming video games for children's violence and right, things. And right, the government shouldn't be involved in that. Um, though more than one party should be involved in that,
0: you know? I agree. Yeah, or at least people with different perspectives. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. if there was a second MPAA that you could... S- compare and go, well, the MPAA rated that G, but the different one rated it 13 or something like that, like how Britain does it. They just use numbers to determine ages.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a better way to go, because I don't like the cutoff at the R. That's, I think, a problem I have.
1: Would you lobby for more nuance in the higher area? So you got G, PG, PG PG-13, PG-16, PG-18, R-minus, R, R, R R-plus.
0: I mean, for me, I'm not... Like, I just really don't think most kids, if they see an R-rated movie, are going to be that scarred by it personally, but I'm not a parent. Um, so, uh, you know, for other parents to determine... So who kids, are you to say? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> who am I to say? But, like, you know, like, y- 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 if you're making, like, uh, you know, some some movie to in- incite violence or something, then that that that's one thing. But I don't, y- y- you know, like... Y- if you watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you, you just start having a family that Cooks people. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be. A, this is not an HP Lovecraft happens. thing where right. people
1: who see it will immediately go insane and kill each other kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So last thing I'll go over before we get into the, we'll take a quick break and then we'll go into the recap awesome. is uh, the um, marketing efforts for this movie. Um, the poster, of course, is on the podcast here, but if you haven't seen it, it resembles the uh, Breakfast Club poster. A bizarre decision. It looks like a joke. I, it's, I did not notice. That you guys show me a picture. I'll have the to. Yeah, that's I will. It's um, Leatherface. Uh, uh, the dad uh, Chop Top um, the grandpa and the corpse and uh, they're the corpse all... of uh, was it JB or... well you know the corpse that they're using in the beginning to like chainsaw right. the teen it's that corpse um, is on the floor being Molly Ringwald so it's the Breakfast Club poster weird decision to do that with the tagline after 10 years the buzz is back um, <laughs> capitalizing so pretty, on like people that. remembering this movie from that far ago
0: uh yeah it's uh john hughes would be proud it was
1: after a decade of silence the buzz is back playing on the sound motif when we come back we're going to get into the recap talking about uh some of the scenes what happened in the movie what we thought of some of them we'll break down a little bit of that then we'll get into our analysis and finally our rating when we come back to the the gory days Welcome back to the gory days. Kyle Leone here, my guest Brandon Payne, and we watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the 1986-1987 classic directed by Toby Hooper. Let's get into it. So this movie tells the story of a radio DJ by the name of Stretch. She is a female radio DJ that works at the Uh, What is it called? I had her in down there. Kay Oakley, Red River Rock and Roll Request Line. She works there at Nights, where I imagine she's sitting at the booths, taking requests from all over. In fact, this night, she gets a request from some rowdy teens. The first thing we see is some teenagers driving down the road in a car, and one of them has a gun, and they're shooting at signs and things, and it's literally the epitome of teen delinquency on display here. Um, They decide to call in the radio show and they won't hang up because i don't know is this a thing on radios that radios can't hang up on their callers that seems like a big plot i mean not plot hole but hole for radio stations that seems like a good way to get taken off the air because some guy won't stop saying baba booey baba booey right
0: I, I i most interesting thing i i find with those two characters is how many archetypes are thrown together there <laughs> they're uh, cornelly buzz
1: and rick the prick are the two teens are their
0: names That's yeah because yeah because they're obviously meant to be like that that archetype of the uh, lacoste wearing frat boy yeah. um the posh. they got they got the the rich boy thing cuz they have the the car phone yeah, so, that's right. Uh, yeah, that—that's funny. That you don't think rich. about that. Yeah, why they have the gun, I don't know. In the like, because they're Texans. They're Texans, but also the the glasses. They got those novelty holographic yeah, glasses. Yeah, I don't know if he was supposed to be on acid or what was going on. He had. I'm he sure got, there's
1: drunk driving implied. and blind. They're
0: going to an OU Texas thing, which is a great setup for how camping the movie is going to. It's the big overarching event.
1: It's the big thing that's going on this weekend that prevents, that makes the authorities, local authorities want to prevent getting this out. It's like the Jaws logic. But anyway, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. These two decide to play chicken with a truck while they're (laughs) on the air because they think this will be hilarious. And sure enough, that same truck finds them on a bridge and plays a little chicken of their own. This chicken, however, involves a chainsaw because what comes up from the top of that truck is a corpse with a black tarp on the back of it. And I quite honestly thought what they were going for was that a guy and that's going to attack and there was a big black tarp and i was i was sitting there i was like this is bad this is the standard for the movie effects here i can see the tarp behind but then they subvert it because they managed to knock off the corpse's head and behind the corpse under the tarp that was very visible is leather face so i thought that was a good scare i I like
0: that Uh, it still felt a little dated but yeah i like it I think I, I wrote down my note was it's a mask unmasking, <laughs> which I thought was unique. You, yeah, what do you mean? You, you, well, you re, you pull off this uh, this corpse or, or was it a full on corpse? I'm pretty sure it was a corpse. corpse? Okay. Yeah. So they pull off the corpse to reveal metal fa- uh, or, or to re- to reveal him, but he's still wearing his Leatherface mask. But that is and, his face. Yeah, yeah, you rip off his mask <laughs> and he's got a mask on. But no, I liked it. Yeah. I, I also think Leatherface one of the ballsiest of the killers because he's not like Jason where he can't really die and he's willing to he's not going for the low hanging fruit he's got the uh, armed uh, college kids driving down the freeway that he's going to kill not 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 just the the prom girl running around the forest. So he, he, he's got some uh, balls in this.
1: One. And at this point, it's kind of unclear if they're just like taking revenge on them for playing the chicken game and embarrassing them. Or if this is what right. Leatherface likes to do. He likes to hide in the back of cars and chainsaw people as they're driving. So that's what happens is we get our first death is Cornelie buzz gets part of his head chopped off. Now, fortunately we, unfortunately we don't actually see the, uh, actual, like, blade cutting his head, all we get is some implied, like, oh, he's chainsawing the door, and then the car gets away. Then, um... Rick the prick turns and he's like hey we got away and it's like uh oh his head's falling off and there's blood squirting everywhere and it was pretty gross. The important thing is that they were still on the air with uh, K.O. Clay and so their entire death was not broadcasted but recorded on the phone uh, at the station there. So Stretch and her producer LG decide uh, to just end the night there I guess. Uh, And then the next day the crime scene where they crashed and we, we were introduced to our hero, Lieutenant Enright, played by Dennis Hopper.
0: Lefty Enright,
1: right? <laughs> that's right. Later he says, call me Lefty for no right. reason at all. Right. But there's some subtle uh, lines here that imply um, he's related to the people who died in the original uh, Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. That's
0: I, he was the father of the girl, as I understand. Uh, yeah, and
1: the brother of the guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that
0: far. Okay,
1: he was so. the uncle of the girl and the brother of the guy. Right. Um, so... Uh, it's... Um, also thrown out that uh, one of the other uh, officers there explains, hey, this is a big weekend for us. People come from all over, not just for football, but just, you know, riots. You, blah, 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 and I can't calm them down, and if you're gonna go around spreading chainsaw stuff, it's Jaws logic. The the movie, what I mean by that is in the movie Jaws, when the first person to realize there was a killer shark announced it to anyone with authority. I believe it's the mayor himself who says, I'm keeping those beaches open. This Mm -hmm. is 4th of July weekend. The biggest Money maker. Mm-hmm. money's more important than lives so that's like kind of what this is going for but it's not really brought up again that the reason i don't want you spreading this uh actual news is because it could affect our uh publicity it doesn't seem to because what happens is stitch uh not stitch stretch comes to dennis hopper's hotel room where it is a madhouse. In fact, there's like a little implied rape where the two drunk cowboys were going to come after her but then Mm -hmm. saw Dennis Hopper and backed off. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just like right off the bat, we're getting that, oh, Stretch is a sex symbol. Everyone wants Stretch. LG, her producer, kind of has like a weird sexual tension with her uh, at some point.
0: Just a little mention, I think in the radio station the sports guy is actually a country music star named Kinky Friedman <laughs> really? point that out uh, my dad's a big friend of his he's kind of a satirist country star he uh, wrote songs like they don't make Jews like Jesus anymore now before he gets too offensive he was Jewish and oh, okay of a satire but oh kind of like yeah. short people <laughs> Right. So uh, anyways, yeah, that was a fun little cameo for me to point out. That is
1: fun. Um, So Stretch mentions in uh, the hotel room that this is a chance for me to stop playing headbanging music and do something real. I think that's so weird for that to be her motivation Mm -hmm. that it's it's almost two separate motivations she reveals in the same sentence. This is a chance for me to stop playing headbanging music. Full stop. She wants to be more than just a DJ that works nights doing request lines what that is I don't know maybe she wants to be a news anchor maybe she wants to be a better (laughs) radio request DJ on a bigger station but then she caveats it with and do something real something real like report a crime and help local law enforcement do something which wouldn't necessarily catapult her career so Mm -hmm. what is her motivation for wanting to
0: help you know that's interesting because also one of my other favorite weird parts was when she goes with the direct evidence to Dennis Hopper yeah. who for some reason is not interested in it in any way
1: who doesn't want her help no. he con- he conveyed to the other officer that I need to get an all points bulletin on this event so that anyone, any witnesses can give me info. And the first one that does, he says, I don't need your help and tries to push her away and get drunk instead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I also wanted to point out that her playlist as a DJ. So my thought of of, of moving (laughs) on to something else, she was not a good DJ. So uh, her playlist at one point in the movie was the chainsaw murder in full <laughs> followed by no one commented on this but they played the national anthem the after star that. spangled banner which is supposed to close out the the recording day right but then they play generic 80s rock music after that she's playing more music which i thought was a very weird now was list. that on the
1: air or was that just for her like i'm gonna hang out and wait for lefty
0: well if she's hanging out to the star spangled banner <laughs> she might have more uh issues in the sawyer family but yeah <laughs> Um. Yeah. So then we get. Then we jump to the Texas Oklahoma
1: Chili Cookoff. Yes. Where apparently is it's held in the same hotel that uh that, mm, I want to. So this is something I'm really bad at on the show. I want to get better. I want to choose between saying the actors' names or the characters' names. Let's stick with the actors. I mean the characters' names. So okay. we've got Lefty, A.K.A. Lieutenant, and Right. We've got uh, Stretch, the DJ. And now we are introduced to Drayton Sawyer, the man who wins the Chili uh, Oklahoma cook-off for the f- second year in a row. And some the the award person asks, now you got to tell us this year, what's your secret? And he's just like, prime meat. I have an eye for good meat. And everyone's just like, oh, that's good enough. Ha, 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 yay. Right. I mean, why would you ever bat an eye at a chili cook-off? You, you wouldn't think anything. Um then it jumps to Dennis Hopper going to a chainsaw store. Yes, dropping the down
0: chainsaw store. A
1: thousand dollars for three chainsaws. So, um, <laughs> tell me about this scene.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like we could talk for an hour about the chainsaw store. Right. It, to me, this is the, that's the centerpiece of the movie. Not a hardware store; it's a chainsaw yeah, store specifically. Now, this is a dark comedy, and it, it makes me wonder: Is that part of the joke? I've or, written down
1: some of the things that I was curious were or were not black comedies. That didn't make the list.
0: That, okay, so what the very next scene is when he goes to the radio station. with, with The radio station, which I accepted, I guess, because it's in Texas, but was above a gun store. <laughs> so the very next place he passes after going to the chainsaw store sold the items that would have make his journey a lot easier. That I noticed. But the chainsaw store... Had a weird clerk as well. Very weird clerk. Do you
1: remember how excited he was to see him misusing the chainsaws?
0: Yes. I don't know uh, if it's a cultural thing by me not being in Texas (laughs) enough or how often people buy chainsaws, but the Chainsaw Emporium they have there seemed a little unnecessary for a small town.
1: He had a huge selection.
0: Very big selection. Oh, really the best in Chainsaws. Best,
1: best in town. I would have
0: loved to see his his infomercial.
1: And he's, having, he's like finishing up a conversation with someone on the phone saying, I don't know where your husband is and you better stop calling me. And it's so long and so audible, I was curious, like, oh, is that an implication of uh, Leatherface got that guy too? but it really doesn't seem like it. It seems no. just like local color.
0: Yeah, I I, I think it was other phase got that guy too, and I think it's more brilliant pr- police work by uh, Lefty <laughs> to uh, not ask if anyone else has been buying chainsaws at the chainsaw store. He's in a
1: trance when he gets I, there.
0: This doesn't seem like a big community. I feel like if there is a chainsaw store, that's probably where most chainsaws are sold, so you probably find uh, your, your, your villains there a little easier.
1: Anyway, we move on for there where Lefty uh tell, goes to the radio station like you said and says, "I want you to play that tape live." And he explains that he wants her to play it both to prove to other law enforcement that it's real, but then also to maybe draw out more witnesses and more information and things. But what he was really doing, which he reveals later in kind of a throwaway line, is that he wanted the killers to kill to come and get her. Not that he, so he could catch them there, but so he could follow them back to their lair. That's pretty evil. Yeah. That was this police officer's plan to catch the people who killed his daughter and brother. Right. So I feel like there's this subtle subplot, and I say subtle because of the movie's ability to make it clear. I feel like there's a subplot of Dennis Hopper degrading. Because at the end, he's a madman running around chopping through uh, support beams and things. And I feel like this is supposed to show his descent into madness a little bit, that he used an innocent woman to lure the killers for his revenge plot. Um I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So what happens is Drayton, the uh, the guy who won the chili cook-off, hears the radio broadcast and Stretch ends up alone at the station after LG leaves, uh the producer. So Stretch is alone and she finds a stranger sitting in the re- recording studio. Who's that stranger?
0: Uh, the stranger sitting. In the oh right, right, right. It's Chop top. Chop top. <laughs> Bill Mosley.
1: Bill Mosley putting out Horror a pretty icon. yeah a great performance a really long uh, tense scene of Chop Top being a crazy guy and uh, Stretch reacting to it in a way that you, was pretty realistic that I can tell this guy is dangerous he's eating himself he's lighting a hanger scratching his head and then picking the chunks off and eating those. He's visibly dangerous. So, she, her plan is to give him a be respectful until he leaves. And it's a theme I see in a lot of horror movies this um, worship of decorum that something bizarre is happening. I can tell something bizarre is happening. I still have control over the situation. Whatever that means for me, I'm going to approach it like it's just a misunderstanding at the bank. until they beat me in the head with a club or until they break my leg and now suddenly I'm tied up half-naked in my own living room. It really frustrates me when characters do this because it's realistic. It's what I do. I was approached... I mean, homeless people in L.A. This is a reality. If you live out there and you're not in Los Angeles... Big spoiler alert, if you ever come here, there are homeless people, and they're not polite homeless people. I don't know where you are where you have polite homeless people, but here, they'll be polite until the moment you've demonstrated you're not giving them anything, and then they feel that they can just descend on you as you're walking away, as you're just trying to live your life. So, it really frustrates me, because I want to believe I'm the kind of person who would not accept uh, violent albeit safe seeming situation if somebody is in my house that I don't want in my house I like to believe I'm the kind of person who would act irrationally to get them out and I I I don't know if I am
0: it's a fear I, I think the self cannibalism makes it not too irrational I've seen. I I've met some weird people, and none of them were currently eating themselves. That's
1: true. So That's true.
0: I, I think that that he that, comes
1: off as violent right away.
0: A, a little bit. A little bit stressing. Though no, I, I will say that performance, I'm um, giving a thumbs Chop up tops? there. Yeah. Oh, big time. Uh, If this is a black comedy, he is the one that was aware of it. <laughs> okay. So yeah, the black comedy in it. It is
1: the the emphasis is on the black and right. less on the comedy. Big sure, time. Yeah. The comedy almost. Excuse me. The comedy comes almost as an afterthought uh, from the audience's perspective. Right, something horrific happened then your mind realizes the absurdity as it fit, and then you're like, oh, that was kind of funny. LG is the producer, and he's been established as a character who may or may not be attracted to Stretch, but he's definitely hawking loogies. That's his thing. He hawks loogies indoors, usually to punctuate awkward moments. And the first instance of black comedy that I can point to is when he's... I'm getting ahead of myself again. But anyway, he's well, dying. He's getting his head beaten in with a hammer. The
0: filmmaker's got ahead of themselves. So you can And he spits yeah. as he's getting
1: beaten in there with a hammer. So that's like kind of funny that I'm yeah, like, oh, like yeah. he's still hawking Lugis even as he's dying. So anyway, like I said, getting ahead of myself. Stretch gives Chop Top a tour. The tour ends with a fantastic scare, Leatherface, a light being turned on and Leatherface being at the end of a hall running toward the camera. Full chainsaw revving. Right. Great scare. He accidentally chainsaws Choptop's head, which reveals why he's called Choptop. He's got a chrome dome up on there. Uh, and that's when we get our big chase. Right. Uh, uh, Leatherface is chasing Stretch through the radio station. Eventually, she holds herself up in the radio vault that's got a big, giant, like, freezer door. Um, and uh, yeah, that's when LG returns, sees that a truck is there. This doesn't look right. Bashed in the head with a hammer, and he's getting beat 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 yeah stretches hold herself up inside the uh radio vault and she keeps saying they live on fear they live on fear they live on fear they live on fear because that's something lefty said is that they live on fear and honey i don't have any fear left in my heart and it's something he holds on to later is that lord show me i have no fear so that they can't do anything to me it's a weird thing because they're people They're not magic. There's no they live on fear thing. It's a metaphor for just insane fear. I don't know.
0: That's your Justice League crossover right there. Did it strike you as weird? (laughs) Um, Yeah, of course it did. (laughs) um, So then there's this amazing
1: moment, and I say amazing with a mountain of salt, because this is an examination of of Leatherface's sexuality. We mentioned in the first segment about how horrific it is to bring it back to the childhood fears, and one of those fears being a an, an lack of understanding of your body and its changes and things, and how that can incite fear. It's a body horror element when you think about it. So when Leatherface uh, doesn't break through the main... Uh, uh, freezer door instead he breaks through the wall in a second really good scare she ends up on the end of a bathtub filled with ice and beers a typical thing you Mm -hmm. keep in the radio vault and leatherface uses his enormously long chainsaw to for all intents and purposes have sex with her he uses his chainsaw as an extension of his manhood and thrusts in the ice over and over again now This would be subtle enough and effective in explaining of what the heck Leatherface is doing right now, but it goes further. Stretch starts to say, how good are you? How good are you? And then Leatherface starts, he turns off the chainsaw and starts rubbing it up her thigh. Now this too could be enough, could be enough for me to understand what is trying to be put forth. But he manages to get the chainsaw all the way up to her vagina It's pressing against her jeans and she's saying, you're so good. You're the best. And Leatherface is standing there licking his lips and then it finally moves on because what happens is it's literally like, uh uh-oh, he's going to come because he's like, I'm going to rev the chainsaw and then he's going to kill her and that's what's going to be it. And he's frustrated with the whole situation. So he just, uh, he goes a little nuts right there and it blows my mind. This scene. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on just that scene of what the heck is going on of Leatherface being alone with a woman that he has a crush on essentially being a damaged child himself with nothing to connect himself to but this extension this chainsaw which he has used to only kill and suddenly it becomes uh, a passionate extension of himself
0: is this dark comedy? It's really sexy, isn't it? It's really sexy. <laughs> I am just so aroused when I was watching it. Um, oh, God. I, I don't know. Did don't you have thoughts know. on that scene? I, I mean... Did you want to just
1: not touch it?
0: <laughs> I mean, you can't not touch someone chainsawing an ice bucket full of beers while a woman spreads her legs on top of it. I don't know that i could say what was the intent of certainly the sexuality that you, as you portrayed it uh is on board
1: i'm gonna do a thing i haven't done before and i feel bad i've on this podcast i've established that i'm a gay man and i haven't established yet how do you identify
0: oh I, i'm a straight man okay so this scene
1: and a lot of scenes like it in horror movies i do not respond to in the way that the filmmakers wanted me to there isn't even a twinge of interest in the idea of what's going on. And it's it's something that I identify as. I'm sure there are other people who identify as gay who might still uh, feel the an inkling of what the filmmakers wanted. I'm curious, how did you react to it? Um, Is
0: this your first time seeing the movie, by the no, way? No, no, I had seen it before, but it must have been a decade since okay. I'd seen it last. Um, yeah, the arousal comment was certainly a joke. Not turned on by that scene. But, um... Um yeah, I def I mean absolutely is that meant to be a representation of his uncomfortability with his own sexuality in in his infantile brain and and being unable to establish it and, and I, I assume that it, it is meant that this this chainsawing people is some sort of sexual release for uh Leatherface. Um intellectually i guess I, I think i can connect maybe with what the filmmakers were trying to do and what is that which i i think just that just to establish that killing is his is has replaced his sexuality you don't or, think
1: that's giving the the writers a lot of credit instead of saying oh they just wanted to make a sexy scary scene
0: yeah because uh, making
1: I, sex scary is cool
0: i mean yeah i know it's tough, i like so your interpretation more because uh Oh well, making sex scary is kind of cool sometimes if you play it well, because I mean, we're all nervous about sex and
1: David Cronenberg certainly knows yeah, how to do it.
0: And, and, and we're you know we're nervous about being intimate with other people and, and you know, laying yourself bare. Basic instinct. Kind of uh, yeah.
1: yeah, there's a lot of things like that uh, under the
0: skin. Right. I think. I think what's clear is the filmmaker is absolutely trying to give a. F- like a frankenstein feeling to leatherface and that he's not really the villain it's these people that made him this way yes um
1: because he does not kill her in that scene right he lies to his brother when he asks did you get her and he goes yeah right because he didn't ask did he kill her he said get her like sure yeah i got her
0: yeah yeah so yeah that, that's my interpretation of it and then obviously we'll get into how he hides her which is well, the that's, fun
1: part so chop top and uh, leatherface take uh, the presumably dead lg away they put him in the they beat him to death presumably with a hammer they put him in the truck and he drive uh they both drive away yes, stretch follows them stretch gets yeah. in her car does she get in the car or does she run after them Anyway, she follows the Sawyers, I'm going to refer to them no, now. It's okay. uh, We learn that Leatherface's name, at least affectionately, he's referred to as Bubba. Right. Uh, and Chop Top is Chop Top, though I don't know if they actually say his name. Um, it was just in the subtitles a lot. Anyway, the Sawyers are driving away and Stretch, either on foot or on car, follows them and gets to their lair, which is an elephant graveyard. I don't know, how else would you describe this place? It's got, like, the... Uh, If you've seen that one OK Go music video where they're in a car and they're driving around things, it's got those domes for miles where uh, she's running through them. And then she gets chased by a car that's clearly not the Sawyers and she's scared. And this is one of two times that Lucky is there. And it's not actually the Sawyers. It's Lucky. And she very rationally says, where were you? And that's when Lefty, sorry, Lefty. That's when Lefty reveals... I had to do it. I had to use you. I'm sorry, darling. Uh, then she falls down a hole deep into the belly of the beast. Right. And Lefty goes back to his car, arms his chainsaws, says a little prayer, and he goes into the belly too.
0: Right, and that's that. That, that part is actually the interestingest part for me as a structuralist. Is uh, yeah, that this is the most classically structured part of the entire story. Is uh, how do you mean? This is the, the, their home is a labyrinth, right? And and Lefty's going in to essentially fight the Minotaur yeah. in the middle of the labyrinth, the Minotaur being Leatherface. Uh, you usually don't see Seth Thetheus with a, a chainsaw. Or uh, two. Or or three, I Dual think. Dual wielding, right? yes, yeah. The, the, the two little ones. Yeah. Um, and I think also, I don't want to get too ahead, but as my comments on the end of the movie, which maybe I shouldn't... Sorry, because classically I'll say that, that Theseus when he kills the Minotaur, is, uh, is the midpoint of the story. He has to follow the rope back out of the labyrinth, in which he is, uh, returns with the, uh, the elixir, if you will, or, he returned, or seizing the sword is a lot of ways we use it as, uh, in writing for that plot point. However, by, I don't want to get too ahead, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll save it. Yeah, yeah, so what end. happens, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, he arms himself, he says his little prayer, he goes inside, and that's when we see Leatherface uh, in his, his own lair, where he's brought uh, LG, and Stretch is now hiding. Stretch is hiding behind a barrel, and we see a long, long scene of what Leatherface does, what his MO is. And what he does is childish. He kind of just flays random parts of his bodies, ending with the face and just hanging them on meat hooks. No one's asking him to do this. No one's really checking on him, really. They're just leaving him to his own devices this is what leatherface does for fun so at after a point stretch can't take it anymore she utters a noise or she knocks something over that's it on accident and it alerts leatherface over to her who doesn't kill her once again this time because she says no good
0: (laughs) right that's right
1: now you're no good before i was saying are you good you're the best you are no good she's treating him like a child and it works
0: yeah, I'm going to give a, a, a probably too-good-respect analysis of this, which uh, I want to drop back to the the, the chainsaw scene, the, the greatest scene in, in history <laughs> of cinema. Because um, he goes outside with that log, and I think that's what you're referring to with the, the guy really liking him using the chainsaw. But he doesn't seem like he's ever used a chainsaw no. before in mean, Le- randomly obliterating a log and I'm going to go ahead and give him like, unfair uh, credit and say that that was setting up uh, this protagonist to be a foil for his enemy who's chopping randomly at uh, bodies. Ah. I don't think that's probably the case, but I'm going to go ahead and give him that extra credit.
1: That does when you say it in that light, it kind of explains why he was doing that. He was doing it. You got to get in the mind of the killer it. to understand oh, yeah, them. Yeah. Is that, well, if that's what he's doing, I got to understand what's so great about it. <laughs> Clearly he's, he's, he's something great here. And so that's what he does. He's chopping at that log, not like a, some, uh, a lumberjack would do it, but like how he imagines the crazy killer would. Right. Um, so Dennis hop, I'm sorry, lefty goes into the, uh, pit and, Stretch is given LG's face to wear. Nice. Leatherface goes and gets LG's face, comes back to Stretch, and puts it on her. And then he puts LG's hat on her, and then he dances with her. Yes.
0: Is this black comedy? Yeah, I took it as a... Uh, I was going back and forth to what was going on. I, I, it might be both things, was the. To... Pretend that she's already dead to protect her from the rest of the family, but also to make him, her like him, look like him oh. by having a face as a mask too, like he I is. didn't think about that at all. And That's where with my Bride of Frankenstein idea, or I think it was an homage, homage too. So it was a little, but I do have to give her credit because I'm pretty confident if someone put someone else's skin face on top of mine, I would not be able to hold my lunch. And she really keeps it together
1: she looks like she's on the verge of just an absolute nervous breakdown when he's dancing with her the groans she's uttering they're not screams they're just these uh, uh, just like groans right um yeah no credit where credit is due let's find her name
0: oh and she does put the face back onto uh jb's the character's name right or lg sorry uh, he puts his face back on her. And...
1: Caroline Williams plays Vanita Stretch Brock, and right. she does a great, great job in this movie. Yes. So after Leatherface dances with her and leaves, LG gets up. Yeah, First, Leatherface ties Stretch's hands behind her back so that she can't take his face off of herself. And LG, who I w- wished was dead at this point, gets up. And he's not in abject, visceral pain. He's just kind of bewildered. He's shocked, I guess. He's in shock is the yeah, idea right. because he gets just enough energy to untie her. And there's there's a weird moment where he picks up the knife and it's like, is he going to stab her on accident because of how weak he is? And then he just cuts the rope. Right. And then he right. dies from exhaustion or from his wounds, rather. So it's hard to even call that one a Leatherface kill because he kind of dies from his wounds after the fact.
0: Right. Um, he did stab him earlier with the chainsaw there. But really... It was like this love the part that got me was the loving act of putting his face back on him. There was a long tearful goodbye in that way. That was a I got you don't have to put my dead ripped off face back on. Me. that does not <laughs> Please. Uh, Oh, speaking of which, now I mentioned uh I think during the break the the Bill Mosley and and uh Devil's Rejects and all that so that's got to be the second thing they took from Devil's Rejects is the, the face on top of her. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, that, that's definitely not something I want to have happen to me. But yeah, the weirdly loving scene. Um, the, the long goodbye. The long I feel goodbye. like modern movies
1: don't do this. Um, a little, I mean, Thor Ragnarok just came out a right. couple of weeks ago, and I won't spoil exactly what happens, but a major character perishes, right. and the movie does not give a single second to the other characters reacting to their death before another thing approaches Right. and it, it's a thing that this movie didn't have to do frankly and it did and it made the death of LG mean suddenly much more to me as the audience than I ever cared about him before
0: yeah and I'll actually say structurally that is a thing the movie should have to do yes that they just don't anymore because um, it feels like a waste of time yeah we usually call that moment um, the you know depending on what st- what structure you use, it's the all is lost moment. Yeah. You know, it's usually some death near the end of the second act um, that leads to the dark loss of hope. Yeah, exactly. And and you know the, your character protagonist having that reflection of 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 uh, what you're gonna do, the helplessness, that that fear,
1: giving up temptation
0: yeah, and i think if you lose that you know in the star wars movies are always really good at that obi-wan kenobi dies at that point in the first one the the new remake that's spoiler alert han solo dies at the same point for the same effect um but yeah i, I think uh that's that actually is a good structure and more movies should uh should use that
1: i agree So we get uh, a couple of shots here and there of uh, Lefty running through the compound, far away enough from everyone else that no one knows that he's actively chopping down the support structures to this mine, I guess it is. It's a mine where all these load-bearing wood chunks are, and Lefty's just going through chopping them down, screaming all hell. This is something Dennis Hopper actually talked about in an interview, that he hates his character in this movie because he has agency in the first act and then goes mad for the third one and does nothing until the, until basically his, his end. Um, but what's interesting is that as he's going around, he comes across a body, a body that may or may not be familiar to people who saw the 1974, uh, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it is the handicapped brother, Franklin. And, De- uh, lefty even says, uh, oh, Franklin, they can't do this to you. um, yeah, so that was kind of cool to tie it back to the original and kind of, like, almost far too late remind us of Lefty's tie to this story and why he really wants to do this and why he went out and bought two chainsaws instead of using the gun I assume he owns because he's a police officer. Or he um, could have picked up at the gun shop at the liquor store. <laughs> or that. I'm sure they sold guns at the chainsaw store next to Texas. the liquor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's going well, you through.
0: We got to fight fire with chainsaws.
1: Okay, so let's get to the very end. Stretch is, being, uh, is bonked on the head and tied up, and she's at a dinner table. This is the quintessential Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene right. that has to be in every single uh, entry. A scene where a person is there under duress, surrounded by the grossest things you can imagine.
0: What can you imagine? Oh, that, well, that's, that's where Matthew McConaughey shines in the next one, right? That, that, that equivalent scene. Uh yeah, grossest thing uh, I can imagine. That I, I mean, cause I could tell you what shows
1: up. It's chairs and chandeliers and lamps. Basically, all the stuff from the Ed Gain profile. Right. This is the Ed Gain scene. No one seems to make them. No one seems to be interested in making them. It's been hard established that the Sawyers are all about making chili and making money
0: that way. Which is wild because they put a lot of effort into building this whole underground uh, compound. This
1: had to have taken years. And there's just the yeah. three of them and a 103 year old man that they actively care for. Very impressive to
0: put this whole thing together yeah
1: (laughs) so yeah at the dinner table we meet grandpa grandpa sawyer he gets wheeled in and we get this uh great little um exchange that it kind of explains their origin grandpa sawyer used to work at the uh arlen rendering company and one day they started bringing in automation bum 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 the big bad guy that everyone hates is automation taking our jobs they brought in air-powered hammer killing machines and automatic meat rendering devices and grandpa couldn't take it so he came home and taught his family the old ways because he was just a guy who enjoyed killing animals with his bare hands somehow this translated into cannibalism which he doesn't explain I don't know it's one of those weird moments in movies where it's like here's a bunch of exposition for no one's purpose or anything it's a villain monologuing yeah. Um. He kind of gets a little bit into how uh, it's never politicians who have to pay taxes. Movie stars don't pay taxes. It's always the small businessman who's always getting kicked in the butt. And it kind of turns into, for two seconds at least, a class thing
0: right. where
1: he's been put in this situation. And that's
0: he feels like he's been forced to do this. Yeah. I don't know if this is social commentary That's what I'm at saying, this yeah. point or or is it black comedy? I think the the filmmaker would like you believe it's black comedy. Not quite sure what the joke is. There's there's a hint of satire.
1: All right. So, uh, Grandpa Sawyer it's revealed is the guy who lands the final blow since he was so good at beating animals skulls in before, they Give him a hammer, and over and over again, he drops it. And it's a scene that I would put in the black comedy column, but it really got to me that Stretch is screaming her head off the entire time in that scene as Leatherface is told to get her from that end of the table to this end of the table. And the Act of doing that looks just absolutely terrifying on Stretch's face as she's put over this basin as this 103-year-old man is failing to use this hammer, and it's just so terrifying because he's getting closer and better, and you see this moment of presence presence in his eyes as he realizes, ah, that there's the head, and he lands one blow on her, and that's all he can do, and she's kinda knocked out. But God, that scene really got me just the like trial and error and them just going come on grandpa come on you can do it come on it's a family thing it's
0: a really family film good for the
1: holidays (laughs) Um, so lefty shows up hooray he's finally there and stretch kind of peeks around the corner and that's when lefty loses it and gets in a chainsaw fight with leatherface and they're literally using them like when i say the word chainsaw fight you think and that's what happens. they chainsaw. <laughs> They're right. literally using them like kids use swords. Like, left, then right, left, right. I'm going to go down now. Ready? Down.
0: <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of playing with, like, the wooden swords from medieval times as a kid. Yeah.
1: So, he heroes up. He frees Stretch from her uh, things, and she goes and runs off. He manages to chainsaw uh, Drayton the cook's back and balls, kind of. Um, and he hi- and Drayton hides under the table while... Uh, Leatherface. Okay, there's a lot of characters here. Drayton, the cook, is under the table. Stretch is running away. Chop Top is chasing Stretch. Lucky is fighting Leatherface on top of the table. Grandpa has picked up the knife and is now standing. Stretch is getting further away from Chop Top. She manages to break a lamp and quasi-electrocute him. Um, shock him, really, because then he gets up. We cut back to chainsaw fight, and old grandpa throws the hammer, misses Lefty, bonks Leatherface right in the head, which makes him lose just enough focus for Lefty to get a chainsaw in the gut. But that still doesn't kill him. Leatherface has a chainsaw sticking out of his gut. Lefty pulls out two more chainsaws and starts fighting Leatherface some more. Meanwhile, underneath the table, Drayton Sawyer, the cook, has a grenade he pulls down nubbins who i believe was a character in the first texas chainsaw it's a corpse now he pulls down nubbins sawyer and pulls out from his lapel or his jacket or whatever a grenade and pulls the pin and just kind of holds on to it until leatherface falls over drops his chainsaw through the table which saws the back of drayton the cook he drops the grenade and as we see chop top chasing stretch Big explosion behind them. Right. That's the last we see of Stret, of um, Leatherface, of Lefty, of Grandpa, of Drayton, the dad. Who knows what happens to them? Because the rest of the movie, the last part of it, is. Stretch getting chased by Chop Top, higher and higher and higher. Turns out it got to be daytime at some point while they were down there, because once they get outside, the sun is up.
0: And and the carnival's an Aztec pyramid when you get to the top.
1: (laughs) And the carnival, yeah, is a spiral staircase. Or no, it's like a weird, like, Tim Burton super uh, steep staircase until she eventually gets enough distance between uh, herself and Chop Top that she meets Great Grandma Great Grandma, who's sitting at the highest point of the tallest tower and still holding on to that chainsaw.
0: Who is she? Grandma Sawyer, right? So, well, first off, I think what is this supposed to be? I, I mean, to me, it was a, a little bit of a *Not to Psycho*. You know, it's oh. the same story with Ed Gain. You got the the mom that's dead that you can't really accept. Um, oh, that okay, yeah, keep going, sorry. Yeah, so that was my take on that. Uh, I, you, and, and especially with... Um,
1: Chop Top's reaction to her.
0: Exactly, Choptop's Top's reaction, like thinking she's still alive, all that kind of stuff is how I took that. The, the other part of that scene I took, which is interesting because this film has two protagonists. Yes,
1: a- a- another yeah, unusual
0: thing. Right, and you're switching kind of back and forth and, you know, like I mentioned, he's, he's kind of doing this the- Theseus story of going to kill the Minotaur, who's Leatherface, and he uses a chainsaw. And, and normally that's the midpoint of the story where you would afterwards uh, return with Elixir or... Uh, uh, Escape! Uh, yeah, or collect the sword. We often talked about it. You get a reward through going through your ordeal of your innermost... Horror, right? His innermost cave was the descent into this place, which we didn't pass. Uh, I did skip over the fact that there, I believe, were dinosaur bones in the background when he was going down there. I there were. Did I miss that? Yeah, I'm pretty confident. I don't there think was I a, saw there that. There was wow. pterodactyl bones that he was when he was chopping through skeletons to get down there. Just noticed that in the background. Had to pause it and make sure. And yep, there's dinosaurs. I don't know how deep this thing is, but whatever. That seems to imply pretty dang deep. <laughs> it seems
1: like it would be um, pretty literally labyrinthian.
0: Yes. And so, well, but within that, though, I'd say the seizing the sword moment, since our other protagonist was killed during his ordeal, seems to be her seizing the chainsaw, Mm -hmm. ripping uh, it from
1: uh, the stone.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Arthur taking the sword from the stone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Same concept. Um, It feels a little truncated extremely. Uh, this be- is the last like minute of the movie this is happening. Right, it's the last minute of the movie where normally this would be the midpoint of the film yeah. in, a, in a traditional structure which is kind of
1: funny. Or maybe the climax with some falling action,
0: but Yeah, but it's really it it it, it, it makes the movie feel unended. Even there. it yeah. feels
1: unended, even though we did tie everything up. Right. And I remember. So the last thing that happens is she finds great grandma. Great grandma is holding a chainsaw. Stitch. St- stitch. Stretch rips the chainsaw oh, from great grandma. <laughs> yeah. And Chop Top sees this and thinks that. Ripping the chainsaw out is what killed great grandma. So now Chop Top snaps right. and he comes at her and he, he hasn't sl- snapped
0: already, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is where he stops being kind of goofy yeah. in any way and just is like blood rage and he starts slashing at her back. And that's another really intense scene where that could take a long time to die from that. But he's willing to do it because she's willing to stay there and rev the chainsaw. It finally gets going because someone's been filling gas into this chainsaw at the top of this tower. And she kind of pokes him a little bit and he falls. Right, And we get this great shot of Stretch's complete transformation. She has the chainsaw now. She's the one in power. And she does her little dance and spins around. And that's the end.
0: Right, she's the re- the metaphorical rebirth of the dead lefty, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the dead Leatherface. Maybe, maybe she snapped. Uh, oh, that's a good point. I'd take that into consideration. So yeah, I mean, So, maybe she lost her mind. That that uh, that's interesting. You know, if my memory serves me right, that last shot of of her chainsawing him and him falling off their weird Aztec pyramid was a reflection of the end of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre of what happens to Leatherface. Am I wrong? It's been a while since i Well, in the original
1: movie. Leatherface, the last shot of it is him standing in the middle of the highway while the girl gets away in the back of the truck. She's screaming her head off watching oh, Leatherface okay. just kind of Dude, the, like, if if you want to look up the best portrayal of Leatherface, it's the last 10 seconds of the original film, when the guy is just swinging the chainsaw around like an absolute maniac.
0: And Leatherface wasn't in the first one that much. No, he's not. Right, yeah.
1: And in fact, he's portrayed much more damaged. It, it, the movie portrays him in the original as being afraid of all these people in his house. Right. And that's it, essentially. He's, he's a, uh, an animal in a cage that's been invaded by the zookeepers.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think I had more sympathy for Leatherface in the original, actually. No,
1: the original's better. I'm yeah. not disagreeing. This one so yeah.
0: That's
1: that, that's the movie of Leatherface, and so briefly I wanna talk about some of the black comedy moments, oh, right. quote unquote. That Toby Hooper so In interviews, Toby Hooper explains that he thought it was obvious that there were black comedy elements in the original, but people didn't react to them. So his goal was to make them more obvious and more numerous in this one. It really suffered for that. Fans and critics alike panned the dark comedy. Scenes like LG uh, spitting, even when dying, and when he's revived and he has no face, he spits again. Uh, Like, that's a moment of black comedy. When Leatherface and Stretch dance while he, she's wearing LG's face. Um, the idea of the Sawyers raging against taxes and automation and being the little guy and those things. Oh, Stretch mistaking that Lefty is one of the people chasing her two separate times and uh, running from them. The be- The skeletons that are, like, posed in funny positions where it's like a beach... A tableau, and they're, like, drinking cocktails. Or the one where it's, like, he's made to look like a cowboy riding a bomb, like the Dr. Strangelove right. image. Who sets these up? Um, Grandpa's multiple misses with the hammer. Uh, oh, Dennis... Uh, Lefty showing up, confronting Drayton, the cook. Lefty saying, I'm... Uh, the cook, Drayton, saying, Who sent you? Was it those Burrito Boys? Was it the new taco truck or something? And he says... I'm the Lord of the Harvest. And Drayton says, what is that, some new health joint? <laughs> like, this is supposed to be the climax, and they're making jokes like that. Yep. The exit sign at the end, the which is supposed to be sign, like, really. what is that? Is that poetic? Like, circular structure? Because she mentions there's going to be a tour, and it's going to end with an exit sign. Why do they have working
0: electricity? Ugh. Yeah, it did remind me of, uh, like, a haunted house you go to as, a like, a 10-year-old. <laughs> Yeah, with the skeletons just posed and things. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, black comedy Um, in this. There's a theme of sexuality yes. and sexual tension throughout the movie, mostly between Stretch and uh, Leatherface, but there's also between Stretch and LG. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if there's any others. If they are, I feel like they're all geared towards Stretch, as she's the only female in this movie with anything to do. Um, that said, she does have a lot to do. She's the one that takes it upon herself not to play the thing, but to chase her captors. Right. They left. She was safe, but she
0: chased after them. Uh, that's true, and we'll, we'll, uh, to give credit where credit's due, that's probably one of the the, the first instances of a female horror victim uh, fighting back instead of being the... Uh, just the pathetic princess character does so.
1: jamie lee curtis fight back in any way in halloween
0: i'm trying to or is think. she a victim well, the whole time she, she does fight back at the end but only after meeting i'm using the actor's name loomis now, but, Uh doctor yeah dr yeah. loomis uh, i was gonna say donald pleasance but uh um she she did fight back a little bit i suppose that was a good character though uh, i love halloween
1: Well, I mean, the sexual tension moments are obviously where Leatherface is using the chainsaw as his own penis, where he's using uh, where he's putting the uh, face on stretch and dancing with her, where he kisses her at the dinner table instead of carrying her over to her death. Um, Just a lot of moments that ultimately humanize the monster in this movie, which is Leatherface in an effort to, I imagine, villainize his family. It doesn't seem to do either for me, though.
0: Yeah, I think it is to villainize the family. I think that you see that more in the first one.
1: Yeah. Um where they're like abusing him and telling him like right. you're going calling him a retard. Exactly.
0: Um he's kind of an equal.
1: Yeah. In this one.
0: Yeah, I think he's the uh, he's really is just a like a manipulated thing. So it's harder. Yeah. I think that that was the obstacle, or not, sorry, not the obstacle, but the goal was to to shift blame from him to give the audience sympathy for the killer. Doesn't quite work as well as it does for Norman Bates, but... Well, I mean, the first kill in this movie is essentially,
1: like, a warranted death. These teens are raucous, they shoot guns at signs, they play chicken with strangers, and with Leatherface and the argument is made like well they had it coming they right, they right. were being dicks all around town across counties and Leatherface got them right so it's weird to set that up that the first murder is like not a a, a serial killer kind of murder it's a revenge murder
0: right cuz the way a lot what are of they these, doing? these early horror films are not early but early modern horror films came to be was you know, it was tied to this time where everyone was trying... Like, you couldn't make gangster movies unless the gangster died at the end in order to have a meaning. And, and you had these... Um, you know, these horror movies in which the the kids that take drugs and the kids that have sex and all like that... Have that to die. Have to die in that. those are Like, the rules. Like, they make fun of them and scream. And or stuff Cabin like in Cabin in the Woods. Or Cabin in the Woods or, or any of that kind of stuff. And so I think... I think that was a big part of it. It was establishing that, but then to go away from that entirely, because there's no reason Stretch should die. I, and there's he, no payoff for their quasi-relationship, quote-unquote. Right. Um, though I don't know how one would pay that.
1: Uh, I ima- well, the way I imagine is that she would use the relationship to survive somehow. That because she has a relationship, that somehow breaks through Leatherface's insanity enough so that... I guess that does happen,
0: because he never kills her. Right. I I guess it's similar to Frankenstein, and it's a little similar to King Kong, too, Um, as far as, like, the classic monster movie. Of how he has a heart of gold? Right. Um, Not much of a heart of gold, I suppose, but um, at least a soft spot.
1: I mean, it's funny you bring up Frankenstein's monster, because I would liken uh, Leatherface to the kind of thing that you could put a bunny in his hands, and he probably wouldn't kill it immediately. Right. But there would absolutely 100% be a point where he does not understand... That he he killed this thing
0: and, and Frankenstein's monster. If you go back to the the novel version and not the movie. I actually read
1: that recently. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so as you it's know, way it, more intellectual and heady than I remember.
0: Right, because he can talk and he's intelligent and he's, he's not, philosophical. He's philosophical and uh, you know that that it what drives people away is his appearance by having dead skin over his face. Yeah. So that would be the, the tie I'd see. The Leatherface is this guy that literally has a dead person skin over his face which is why he's repulsive to everyone I'm kind of interested
1: to, sorry no, continue. I'm kind of I interested had, to see the prequel, Leatherface, to see how any studio tries to explain how a child became this person because from what I understand that's a pretty boring movie, it seems like a child who lived through constant abuse his entire life and is now an adult and experiencing constant abuse from his family
0: Yeah. That's, that's that's hard to make uh, too much fun well I mean there's
1: the, there's the movie coming out that's based on a graphic novel called My Friend Dahmer that's uh, an okay. examination of a person who went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer and observed who he was as a person is there value in I don't want to say fetishizing but glorifying the criminally insane
0: that's interesting because uh, obviously that's something we have to deal with more and more now right in real life mhm um, more on these mass murder kind of things. Um, I think it's a, like I think we just do it. Maybe we handle it the wrong way now, because I think there is like you look at like a book like in cold Bud by Truman Capote. Right. That that I think we all have a, a desire to to find out what makes people do these kind of things. But when you're doing an in depth look into these two killers, like in something like In Cold Blood, you know, one, you have to be the type of person that will read a whole book to to gather what his point is. And it doesn't glorify him, it's more of a psychological study. Um, That being said, like it is, it's fun, I guess, on our darker base nature to. to watch these characters it is isn't it and i'm certainly fascinated by these serial killers but is it pulp
1: or is it is there actual value to understand like the the new show on netflix the mine hunter uh show where it's essentially the tv show of understanding serial killers minds right and so yes i would argue there's value from a police perspective from a law enforcement perspective to understanding the mind of a serial killer but what Value other than pulp and entertainment... I don't know what point I'm trying to make. I'm just trying to... No, I see
0: what you're saying, because, you know, especially if you have, like, both in movies and real life, you have copycat people. Mm, people Exactly. You you, you make heroes of them, and then people know their name's going to be on TV, and then you get the next one, and the next one, next one. I guess it's how you... Or is this blaming video games for violence again? I don't think it is. I mean, to a degree it is. Like, I don't blame... Uh, what was the killing spree on natural-born killers for causing a killing spree, necessarily.
1: What if it was the inverse? What if someone had made a game of the Boston Massacre?
0: Right. Then,
1: suddenly, it's obvious.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, because it is something... That I think the human mind we want Boston to Marathon. Oh my God!
1: I'm sorry. Like, I got. I Texas, got what you're about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About. But I got yeah. Texas chainsaw on the mind. Sorry. Right. Go ahead.
0: Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think we want to analyze and we want to make sense of these things because they're so. I mean, that's what, what I mentioned way earlier was like cosmic indif- indifference, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, we see that in real life. What's you know the, this Vegas shooting, right? Or I know it's not the most recent one now, but that's still one that we have no idea why he did it, right? And there is this this kind of. Um, uh, what's the, the... Like a nagging sense of it's wanting to know. It's like a relief know. when you find out what can cause such Oh, it was horrors. because of his wife. Oh, right. it was because he hates uh, blank. Right. Or like like in Orlando, at least you could say like, okay, this dude was a, a closeted homosexual that didn't know how to deal with it maybe and and, and, and snapped or something that, that we can at least formulate. Because I think we don't want to think that we could just snap maybe part of it is so We want to like have a reason to look at um it's movies like the purge that capitalize on that idea that right all
1: it would take is the opportunity and right, you could which, be a, which
0: i don't really buy into i don't think if there was like everything was legal tomorrow either of us would go out and rape and murder and steal but,
1: but the implication is that maybe your neighbor would right right so and then so you get paranoid mm-hmm. and you go against everybody else
0: yeah i mean um uh, and the, so,
1: yes, it will make movies, but if it inspires even one Ed Gain copycat killer, what's
0: what's the... It's a good question. Like, I don't know that it... Because it doesn't seem to me... Uh, like, I'd have to see some well, sort of scientific breakdown that, that says watching horror movies leads to horror... Because it seems to me like the video game thing. Yeah. I believe there's been studies of people that actually play violent video games tend to have less violence... Or, or tend to be less violent in the unless real world. Unless they're predisposed,
1: unless they come from violence. If they're in an abusive household right. and end up playing Grand Theft Auto, that's not a good mixture.
0: And so my thought is, I mean, I mean, you look at the horror film, and the first thing you want to analyze in, in, in a horror film is, why do I like this? Right? We don't like being scared in real life. We, we don't like seeing guts. We don't like seeing guts and blood and stuff, but we like seeing these movies. And, and, and I think part of that is because you in the subconscious you know you're in a theater and you know you're comfortable and you know you're safe safe and so you can have these these feelings and these experiences i I think it's the same thing um with how we get fascinated by these killers is you know it it, it's safe we're not diving into our own subconscious and finding the darkest recesses of our own minds by looking to these others um
1: I think the fascination is a great point. From my experience, I was terrified of Chucky, like I mentioned. I had a deep-rooted fear, not of any of the scenes in any movie, because I hadn't seen a single one. I was a child, and I was afraid of what Chucky looked like. It was his design, the cracks, the absolute chaotic damage that his face was incited instant and all-encompassing fear in me. And I had a sister who had dolls, and that became really difficult for me. What broke that was the uh, what is it like the, the uh, event horizon of me being fascinated enough wanting to learn about Chucky and what the mm-hmm. heck he is and so it started with Wikipedia articles simply reading the synopses for these movies that I was too terrified to see um, it happened again when Freddy vs. Jason started coming out I was terrified of those posters and things but I stared at them from far away, I remember specifically being in an emergency room because my mom had to go there, and there was an ad for Freddy vs. Jason on a newspaper, and I stared at that thing from across the waiting room, and that was my way of being okay and understanding it because I was fascinated. I I was scared, but I was also fascinated. Right. There's there's uh there's both to it.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think we want to face our fears in a way. For me, it wasn't the dolls as a kid. It was. My brother had this ripped-up old Grim Reaper mask with holes in it, and it was plastic. And it just got me. He'd run around with it, and like I would think it wasn't my brother, you know, like anymore. This it was this monster chasing me, and, uh, and and little clips of movies and images, like uh, like you mentioned with Chucky, or, or like I saw images of the commercials, uh, the birds. I saw five seconds of the birds, and every time. Nickelodeon ended and Nick and Knight came on the first show is Alfred Hitchcock Presents which is a show I love when I was a child I'd see this this you know this chubby guy's silhouette come on screen which is a completely unterrifying image but knowing that it related to the birds scared the living crap out of me and I'd run from the room screaming just seeing that black and white shadow so I think you know as you get older especially why you know horror films are so often targeted towards the adolescence Is you know you get to that point and you want to start uh, facing your fears because that kind of is what makes you an adult. It's almost like these movies I think are part of growing up. When you when you when you can really, especially a a film like this, it is a horror comedy or whatnot. You can you can look at that and if you are really scared about mass people chasing you around and you see this movie, you're like, oh no, I can, I that's not real. I don't need to be scared of everybody around me. This is. This is pretend. Well, not to get neuroscientific
1: on on this podcast, but I have learned that dopamine and fear are intrinsically related, that when a person experiences fear and terror, their brain releases a chemical called dopamine that is essentially supposed to soothe the body uh, to enough of a degree that adrenaline, if it's not needed anymore, can... Rescind and dopamine can take over and calm the body. So, there is an understanding of people wanting to seek out the feelings that they get from dopamine, from that same idea Mm -hmm. that chocolate, I guess, gives
0: you. Right. I mean, adrenaline too, if it's more of a action thriller. Um, People like that. Right. I mean, our body creates all sorts of drugs to make us high and all sorts of worries. And, you know, movies that are effective can draw them out. So what themes did you want to notice?
1: I feel like I've been uh, taking over the analysis section here. Was there anything you noticed in the movie? Uh, overarching it. things or
0: undercurrents? Of, I'm trying to think. what well, usually you, you have a character state the theme in the first <laughs> five to ten minutes. I'm trying to think. I feel like it did happen in this one. Having trouble. This grassing. is my
1: chance to stop playing headbanger music and do something real.
0: Yeah, I think that might be it. I think that's probably Is it. Is that
1: being um, low status but still getting to do something?
0: Yeah, I think that's it. I, I think, yeah, that that that's probably about it.
1: Now, does it achieve this?
0: Um, no. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say it. Certainly, uh, this character, in a way, does transform. Uh, she starts coming after her baddies instead of running from her problems that's not good advice in this case you should have called the police. but it's heroic just just police that weren't dennis hopper i'm sorry uh that lefty um or dennis hopper don't call him don't if you call get... dennis hopper if, uh, if, uh, if you need a change is he still fighter. alive did he die so? recently i think I he died recently not. that's too bad james Con
1: still alive dennis hopper's not i don't think oh that's too
0: bad sorry like yeah. dennis Hopper. but yeah um it's a weird Dennis Hopper role, too. Because you got this guy in Dennis Hopper that's playing this like he's an easy rider. And it's not easy rider. He's so high-strung. It's so, like, yeah, the drugged out. I don't know if this character's meant to be drugged out.
1: He's supposed to be, like, alcohol out. In his hotel, you can see he's finishing a bottle right. of whiskey. Right. Um, but that's the only inkling we get that he's... Like an obsessed
0: instability detective. His is so crazy that it's hard to... It, it, I think they, they really did take a lot of classic horror tropes this and almost happen. smashed them together. And some fit probably a little better than others did. I think they probably tried to fit a couple square pegs into some circular holes, but... Uh, do I th- I mean is there any big transcendent theme I can think of uh, I mean I don't mean to put you on the spot you don't have to dig yeah, one up if you can't I think mean of a- um I mean overall I think you know it's you know the family thing with the uh, the villains um you know the, the I guess the, 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 the fear of leaving the nest is kind of tied to, to Leatherface a bit um but yeah, beyond that, I think I think you nailed it pretty good thematically.
1: So well,
0: yeah. thanks. Absolutely. All right, in that case,
1: this is the part of the show where we talk about our ratings, okay. what we thought. About. Oh, wait. I forgot actually, usually, what we like to do is we go on uh Twitter, social media, and we turn to our Twitter followers to see if they tweeted any uh questions or suggestions or ideas um and it looks like for the first time ever we have one, somebody oh, has tweeted at the gory days to let us know what they thought or what they wanted mentioned on the podcast. so let's see why even bother at gemini twenty one eighty nine asks so, the VA pays for the family torture van? That's a really good point. Off-screen, when uh, LG is being chopped up by Leatherface, off-screen, ChopTop Top is having a conversation with Droughton. And what he's explaining is that you wouldn't have this operation if it weren't for me. No crazy gook with the machete, no metal plate, no metal plate, no... Meet wagon a go-go is his line something like that and I'm sorry to use inoffensive words but I am saying a quote I don't mind
0: oh, yeah. so does the what VA great... pay
1: for their operation
0: what a great uh, point out by that uh, that audience member did you, did you give a shout out to their Twitter handle oh I definitely right? ha-
1: yeah I should again um, it was why even bother he is at the gory days his picture is um, a picture of a cat kind of looking up off to the side uh, so that's kind of cool
0: that's cool. Yeah, it's... it's. That's a really good point. Thank I you. I think you're right. Why bother? It's just exposition that doesn't further the plot. You're right. But it... It does add a little weird level of, is this social commentary about once again, something maybe that we're too young to really get? Of people uh, taking advantage of veterans' aid? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering that. Or, or yeah, I think... Don't you have to get vetted? To I, think, get that? I think we got to be older to to maybe know what. Maybe we it was had to Vietnam. Through Vietnam to to really understand where that was going. Because
1: the implication is that Chop Top was went to Vietnam, right. got injured, came home, and is now being sent free money from the government because that's what happens. That's what happens in real life. Right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre: First Blood. <laughs> but they're being funded essentially by this, and they're making extra income by selling people chili. okay thanks a lot uh sorry did you want to say anything more to that question or that Observation. Oh, you know, it
0: did make me think of uh, something, but now I feel like I might have lost it. Thanks a lot to that Twitter
1: follower. Once again, if you want your thoughts read on The Gory Days each and every week, be sure to tweet at The Gory Days and let us know anything you thought about uh, the week's films. But this is my favorite part, the rating. We rate our films based on, frankly, whatever we want on a scale of zero to five thumbs, zero being the worst, five being the best. Brandon, what did you think of this movie?
0: So we get any sort of reaction we'd like, Is in, like, my total enjoyment versus uh, do I think this could have been directed by Kubrick or what? what's the... It's
1: totally up to you. The criteria is non-existent. All that matters oh, okay. is the zero to five, but gotcha. you can
0: explain it however you want. I, I like the five thumbs method as opposed to five stars because we clearly have five thumbs here. It, it's, a, <laughs> it's a good number. I like it because uh, it
1: implies they're severed.
0: Oh, I like it. Oh, I gotcha. Um,
1: I guess it doesn't. I don't know. That's
0: what I thought uh, in like, the us let, uh, So for yeah, someone you think? that's worked in the independent uh, film business for, for quite some time, I'm going to go ahead and out there on the limb that most independent horror movies are absolutely terrible. And most of them you don't even see on a DVD shelf and they don't even get that far. So uh, on that alone, if, if Toby Hooper's best case scenario is five stars, then that's Poltergeist or five thumbs up. So I'll, I'll give him a th- I'll give him a. Th- I'll give him a three. Three I, I thumbs. Enjoy, I, I enjoy this more than uh, than uh, quite a few other horror movies, but uh, I think we covered quite a few obvious flaws.
1: And who do those thumbs belong to? Traditionally, we like to say who the thumbs belong to.
0: Oh, do like, like characters? Okay, cool. So Bill Mosley gets the the first thumb. <laughs> chop top. Yeah, chop top. <laughs> uh, he's the one that gets the tone of the whole movie. To me, he gets it. He's funny one thing i want to mention was with the the horror comedy i think you really do need to have comedic actors to make that work i'd say evil dead is a great example uh i think bruce campbell is a really good comedic actor i think his cameos even the spider-man movies show that off i think you look at um uh Robert England uh, as Freddy Krueger he is a comic actor just straight up people don't really realize that but he is hilarious I think in this case Bill mosley was actually I thought pretty funny and uh beyond that I don't think you had a lot of actual comic actors and that could be why a lot of the uh um the comedy fell short and it Scream obviously you got Jamie Kennedy and all sorts of comic actors and Stuff like that. So that was what I was trying to think of.
1: Uh, so you gave one thumb to Bill Mosley, Chop Top. Who do the All other right. two thumbs? One
0: thumb goes to Bill Mosley. We get... Um, I'm oh, Dennis Hopper gets a thumbs up. I, 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 apparently uh, Lefty walked right out of Apocalypse Now and right into <laughs> Texas. Um, Just drove. Yeah, I mean he had uh he had backup chainsaws and a holster so that alone you know that's got to get a thumbs up and our third thumbs up has got to let's see Are we gonna give it to to stretch or is there like a like because i do
1: caroline williams
0: because yeah because you know she has to do oh Uh, no, no. I'm giving it to the frat boys at the beginning. Oh, there you go. Oh, they get it. Rick the Prick. Rick the Prick, and I I forget what his friends with with the word, uh, uh, glasses on. Those guys are great. They were beyond... Cornelly Buzz. Cornelly Buzz. Like, gosh, it's like the, like the... If if David Cronenberg had created those characters from Funny Games... Cool. All right. Fantastic. That's a
1: nice rating for this. Um, What did I think of the movie? I had a lot so this wasn't the first time seeing this movie i had seen this movie in college i actually had a friend who uh actually had a vast uh knowledge of bad horror movies that he loved watching and he would show them to us and we'd watch them all together and i remember him showing this one and he would he was just cracking up at like the chainsaw sex scene in the bathtub and just laughing at dennis hopper running around chopping things down and uh Yeah, so that was my first time seeing it. So seeing it this time through the lens of the podcast, uh, it made me realize, like, this is... It's a fun movie. I was surprised at how much fun it was. And I'm not saying because of the black comedy. It's just the story is tight. It's easy to follow. And Stretch is a... Fun character. She is not a blonde bimbo without any agency waiting for a man to save her. Yes, she's waiting for Lefty to come and save her. He doesn't, and she goes off on her own. Yes, Lefty comes to save her again at the uh, bottom of the belly of the beast, but once he does, she beats Chop Top all on her own. She's actually a great female protagonist in that way. Leatherface, however, is portrayed Actually, Nether, Le- Leatherface is portrayed as a wonderfully nuanced horror character in a way that I was not expecting. Uh, like I said, I do really uh, identify with characters that have even a tangential tie to mental illness, so that's something that I can't shake. I enjoyed this movie, and I'm quite honestly going to give it four thumbs.
0: I get. Like I actually had another thumb I wanted to give. Uh, oh I sure. Could, uh, for Tom Savini, because you're talking about how right. fun the movie is. Uh, the special effects especially with what he was working at, at that time it is clear that that guy really loves his job and he made that movie fun the the look of the movie is really based on his designs and and on all that work he did so he gets he gets an extra thumbs up from me
1: yeah he does a great job so i give it four thumbs who do my thumbs belong to one uh belongs to nubbins Uh, Nubbin Sawyer, the dead uh, brother who's sitting at the dinner table who apparently has a grenade on him. Great Grandma Sawyer uh, who's firmly got her thumb pressed on the button for the chainsaw, ready to go whenever she needs it. Um, Another thumb is definitely going to go to Oh! One thumb is going to go to Wendell, the Police officer who tells De Lieutenant Lefty that he's got to move on. This is a closed crime scene. Get on out of here before his friend shows up. Wendell. He gets right. a name. Right. Um, and the last one is going to go to LG because, LG. quite honestly, he managed to balance being a really close confidant friend and also kind of a sleaze bag in the same character that he is actually pretty three-dimensional in that way
0: he might have been the worst friend-zoned character in the history of cinema he really yeah, was he
1: was yeah. really trying to at that one point he's saying like hey let's go get coffee it's 10 at night let's yeah. go get oh no it's midnight she established it's midnight in texas there's nothing going on and he says you want to go get coffee he's like no i'll stay here yeah so that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. I want to thank Brandon Payne, my guest, for coming in. Um, is there anywhere people can find you?
0: I'm not really. I mean, I am. Do you a...
1: want people to find you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. You can always email me. I am a consultant. If you're, uh, if you're writing a movie or uh, or you're trying to figure out how to sell one, how do they get in contact with you? You can you can uh, contact me by, by email, which is just pretty simple. It's Brandon P R A N D O N dot Payne. P-A-I-N-E, the number one at gmail.com. And I'll leave you some some business cards too. And if you if you have other guests that want it.
1: Perfect. We'll be sure to include that in the description with your permission or things like that. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. (laughs) You got show notes nowadays.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to say before we say goodbye? Uh no, this was fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, let me know
0: if there's any feedback. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks again for listening to what I believe was the fifth, maybe fourth. It's so cool that I don't know anymore. Episode of The Gory Days. Next week, we'll be talking about a brand new film. Be sure to check that out and tweet all of your thoughts, suggestions, things you loved, things you hated, things you loved to hate about that week's movie. Next week on The Gory Days, we'll be talking about a brand new film. I just said that. I'm just doing my wrap-up. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days you want your thoughts on each week's movies heard on the podcast follow us on twitter and on instagram at the gory days and look for more episodes each and every week on the apple podcast app see you next time so
0: what film are you gonna do next week i don't know oh, awesome. <laughs> i haven't decided yet
1: i usually decide while i'm editing this one
0: that's cool what did you do what, what other ones have you done
1: we've done